Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is proud to be a WGA signatory company, and they fully stand by the WGA, SAG, and their members in their fight for extremely reasonable standards. Accordingly, they are not accepting script or treatment submissions at this time, but both William and Zena Rush are available via email free of charge to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Ahead of the strike, William Rush has individually produced numerous projects, including Coffee with Baba, Day by Day, They Slay, Before, Pack is Here, Abiquue, The Winemaker, and Where Do You Draw the Line? Two feature films, Group and Immersion, are slated for release this fall. Absolutely no picket lines will be crossed and no collective bargaining agreements will be violated in the making of either of these films. And very generously, Original Cinematic is providing all Podmortem patrons with a special link to view these films. If arrangements can be made, they will even schedule a virtual or in-person screening for our patrons. We cannot thank Original Cinematic enough for their contribution to our show and the horror community as a whole. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from Seaside HCFM discussing the 2015 thriller, Green Room. This film was written and directed by Jeremy Saunier. Powered by Saunier's memories of the punk rock scene of his youth and the desire to create a siege film, Green Room ratchets up the tension in a claustrophobic, high-stakes thrill ride. With strong performances, brutal violence, and impressive practical effects, this well-crafted film would become a hit with critics and audiences alike, despite modest box office numbers. This film was suggested to us by friends of the show, Miguel Myers ATX, Kent Morton, At Silence Legion, and Brianna Scott. We want to thank them all for their continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, Green Room. What were your first impressions on the film? I remember the first time watching it, you showed me this movie, babe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when that was. But watching this movie again for the show, I did enjoy it. Some some parts were a little frustrating for me, but mm-hmm. I think it was, that's the movie making you feel that. Like So I was like, you know, okay, okay. I was like, I see what you're doing here. Um, I did enjoy it. I didn't. I remember thinking that this movie was a little harsher than what it was. Mm-hmm. So watching it for the show again, I was like, oh, okay. I was like, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Um, not in a bad way, but because like there is Nazis in the movie. So I thought for some reason it was going to be a little worse than what it was, but it, it's not. Um, but I did enjoy the movie. 
And fuck Nazis. Yes. Fuck Nazis. Fuck Nazis. Um, yeah, I showed it to you because T would not shut up about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so I finally decided to watch it, and you were kind enough to watch it with me. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of it before, um, outside of you T telling me that it was great and that I needed to watch it. Whatever. I'd never heard of it before. So I was very surprised at an actor that we see mm-hmm. in it. I was like, what are you doing <laughs> yeah. here? Because, yeah. you know, it seemed like some and I, I think it is very like a, like a low budget. Oh, yeah. You know, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. It was one of those movies that I loved when I watched it, but I only watched it the one time. So there was revisiting it a lot of things that i did not remember mm-hmm. and that was kind of a treat because for me it did not lose the level of tension because it is thick yes with several c's i was stressed <laughs> yeah. the fuck out watching this um we'll get more into it later but decisions that are made and consequences of those decisions mm-hmm. are it, uh, some of it is very hard to watch, but that just speaks to how well done it is. Oh yeah! But this, the, it's a, it, it's a really great film, and it is horrifyingly scary because it is realistic, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and um, it's horrifying. But I, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it, and this was almost a fresh rewatch, and I really enjoyed it again. I agree, a hundred percent. My first time watching it, I remember I had watched his previous film, Sonia's Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very good revenge film. Okay. Ooh, we love a revenge story. We fantastic. Yeah. But I really kind of appreciated his style, and then when I heard people talking about Green Room, because I don't really, I don't remember the first time the circumstances of watching this film, mm-hmm. but I just remember finding out about it. And then, of course, uh, the cast being like, what? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, okay, I got to watch this. And then watching and just like falling in love with how just unrelenting it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very funny because you see a lot of times critics will be like, this film grabs you and doesn't let go. And I'm like, a film can't grab you. And I'm like, I've been grabbed. As <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching it, it won't let go. <laughs> like, that's how I felt as I'm watching this. Because it gets to a point, they they have some setup at the beginning in the first act. Mm -hmm. And then from that point forward, it's just done. Like, it just goes and goes and it does not stop. And it's a very remarkable experience to feel as you're watching a film and you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody is in danger. Yes. (laughs) Like, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. But I, I think that the film itself is just so shocking in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, of the imagery sticks with you. Right. Because you've I've I've never seen some stuff like this before. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a part and I know you were mentioning it. It's, <laughs> for me and I it the movie did grab me, but I think a lot of it like I stated a minute ago was frustration. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what the fuck? Ah, like I no, want to rip my hair. <laughs> I want to rip my whole own hair out. I was, yeah. like, Dude, I was like, what are you doing? And I think I think what what works with that for me because a lot of times when we watch movies like this, it's like from a perspective of this genius action hero. Yeah. 
But watching this film, it's like, oh, these are real ass people. Yeah. And they're going to make horrible mistakes and terrible decisions. But then again, I probably would too. That's the thing is we're, we're, (laughs) oh no. We're we're watching and judging from the comfort of our own home. Right. Yeah. Don't have uh, Nazis after us. (laughs) I mean, at least not in the physical, like around the corner kind of way. Um, Not to spoil anything. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, I feel like obviously when you're in a moment like that, you don't have the faculties to be like, okay, there's there's one line in this that I was like, fuck you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that. Like there are certain things where it's like, I know no matter what situation I'm in, that is egregious. Yeah. But when the adrenaline is pumping and you're like animalistic, whatever flares up and it's fight or flight, right. you're not going to be, Hannibal Lecter weighing your options like it's panic I understand and so I mean there are a couple things that I was like why the fuck would you do that (laughs) but little things it's like you're scared out of your mind yeah you're not thinking clearly and that to me adds to the realism because like you said in most films it's like no let's stick like I always say let's stick with Grissom because he knows what's going on there is no Grissom (laughs) (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) there is no Grissom there's no Grissom in this but I I think that's the thing as well is that you know when you watch like a John McClane even if he fucks up it's gonna work out yeah it's gonna be fine you know that it's gonna be fine but watching a film like this you're like every fuck up adds up Yeah. yeah every single thing and that's another thing that's really interesting about this film to me is that it shows how one incident one action can cascade into just horror for everyone yeah Yeah. like it all it takes is one fucking impulsive act and then it shit just goes crazy yeah and a lot of like um wrong place wrong time yeah it's like i wasn't even supposed to be here today you know <laughs> yeah, seriously it's just like clerks <laughs> <laughs> um i also appreciate a lot of the quiet homages in this film okay there there's quite a few that kind of you even second guess yourself you're like is that trying to yeah it's it's very cool uh, but I did want to talk about the production of this film very quickly. Mm-hmm. I learned quite a bit on the commentary track with Jeremy Sonnier, also an article on Slash Film and an article in the LA Times. All right. But this idea of setting a film in a green room had been with Jeremy Sonnier since 2007. Okay. And so he had actually made a short film but it was a supernatural horror film. Mm-hmm. And it was about this band in a green room that I guess played a record backwards and summoned the devil. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a little different than yeah. <laughs> what we get here. But um, it's interesting that the seeds were planted that long ago. Yeah, yeah. And so he makes quite a few films. He made Murder Party and then he made Blue Ruin. Okay. And after Blue Ruin, it kind of takes off and he's getting all of these offers and big studios are like we want you to direct this we want you to look at this and he kind of got scared and kind of felt a little bit of imposter syndrome and he's like i uh i need to make one more film that's small like this while i still can yeah and also strike while the you know iron's hot Mm -hmm. yeah and uh show them that i'm not just blue ruin yeah yeah and i can do more and so Green Room was kind of born out of that instead of going forward in a larger way with his career. Mm -hmm. He wanted to keep things small still. Okay. And so he decided to go back to this idea that had been a part of his creativity for almost 10 years. Right. And he thought of doing it properly this time. 
and taking elements from his youth. Right. He apparently used to sing in a hardcore band when he was younger. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of drew from his memories of the punk rock scene of his youth. Yeah. The memories of going to see films like this and how they made him feel. He talked about trying to capture a lot of the feeling of John Carpenter films. Okay. Oh. And um, Straw Dogs, I think he said. But the, the film that mostly I thought of was Assault on Precinct 13, but he said he didn't rewatch that until after he finished his script because he didn't want to be influenced okay okay <laughs> but then i think that the filmmaking itself was influenced after yeah. watching right. <laughs> the film but um no i just i think you feel so much care and attention in this film and there's a lot of there's an odd especially in the earlier portion of the film mm -hmm. feeling of nostalgia that just kind of comes through um okay i didn't i wasn't a part of that scene i don't know any of that shit yeah, yeah. but i feel like this feeling of camaraderie of being in a band in your younger years yeah it just feels very nostalgic mm -hmm. well and i related to uh the grind yes you that's know? very fair all right yeah i i i i did kind of feel that when they at the beginning when they were in the van um i also has never been in a band mm -hmm. um but i've worked with the band of people I <laughs> <laughs> but no i i the uh, the movie is pretty good for me. I did I did really really enjoy it. There are some things I like I said that are nitpicky for me, but uh -huh. but uh, I did enjoy this movie as well. Like I I I do see all uh, the care that went into it. Hearing you say all of that, you do notice that stuff. But he had also said that the film is really about environment and atmosphere. Okay, then you do feel that. Yes. Very much. And uh, lastly, it was about real people making real decisions, which I think we've discussed yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. Um, speaking of that, I haven't seen either of the other two films. You said Murder Party and Blue Ruin. Mm -hmm. But it's like an unofficial trilogy, kind of like the John Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy. Mm. Oh, okay. But it's... Uh, um, I think he called it his uh, clusterfuck trilogy, <laughs> and it's um, comprised of inept protagonists. Oh, that's okay. very so. It's like yeah, yeah. that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we put this film in an arm bar, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's take to the stage. So the film begins with the sound of an engine rumbling lowly. Against a black background, we get the title, Green Room. We cut to Pat, played by Anton Yelchin, wrapped in a blanket in the back of a van, slowly stirring awake as the radio chatters in the background. Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think this was his last released film. Such a talented young actor mm -hmm. it's such a tragedy it yeah. really is it's one of the ones that you're like i will never get over this because it's 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 just awful it yeah. is i don't want to go into details no, and no, everything no. but it's just it, fuck it's terrible and his performance is so good in this film yeah, yeah. he plays his character yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he sits up realizing the view through the back window is occluded by dozens of corn stalks they're bonnie i've heard <laughs> or is that corn rigs? I don't know if it's the same thing. Something about corn. I'm not a farmer. I'm Travis Hunter, not Travis Farmer. <laughs> but he can only offer shit. 
And we see the source of this shit in an overhead shot, the van having plowed through a cornfield, leaving flattened plants in the direction of its eventual stop, its headlights still beaming. I heard on commentary that they had started filming right after the proper season in okay. the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. So they had to buy these corn stalks and put them there. Oh, oh wow. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> but Pat wakes up the rest of the van's occupants. Sam, played by Alia Shawcat, Reese, played by Joe Cole, and Tiger, played by Callum Turner. Alia Shawcat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Obsessed. I love yeah. her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to talk about Joe Cole mm-hmm. because he was John Shelby. He's going to say you put some respect on <laughs> yes. his name. He's a Shelby, right? <laughs> yes, in Peaky Blinders. <laughs> and he was also in an episode of Black Mirror, Hang the DJ, with Georgina yeah. Campbell, yes. Tess from Barbarian. That made me cry my fucking <laughs> face off. It is incredible. So it's go good. go listen to this and then go watch this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a sucker for the sweet episodes of Black Mirror. Because we don't get them. <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> I like the pig stuff. Okay. <laughs> that, that was wild. What a, what, a th- yeah. what a thing to start your series on. Like, if, yeah. you're not, if you're not in, you're not yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they were telling us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is what it's going to be. <laughs> we're setting the weird bar on the fucking ceiling. <laughs> But Sam, riding passenger, asks Tiger, who is driving, what he did. Tiger just responds in confusion, saying that he must have fallen asleep. But Pat notes that he did so with the engine still running. So are, are we implying here that he fell asleep and veered off of the road? Yes, yeah. dude. We're really underselling. Yeah, what, what thank happened. you. That's my note. Y'all are very chill very for what calm. happened. Yeah. To me, okay, see, I don't go to sleep on road trips. I don't drive on road trips. <laughs> But I'm a great uh, shotgun rider. Passenger? <laughs> <laughs> Co-pilot. Yeah. That's, uh, okay, come on. yeah. I bring a, a great playlist mm-hmm. yeah. and I do not fucking go to sleep. This would no, not happen on my no. watch. Period. <laughs> this is actually based on a true story. No. Really? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> From, I guess, Sonia is one of his friends or his brother, I think, uh, was in a band and this happened on one of no. their... No. And they're all like... Tiger, I mean, yeah. you could have killed us. <laughs> <laughs> We're going home. Yeah! <laughs> Trip's ruined. <laughs> There's no, no. <laughs> What did I say? Shotgun rider? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Cut that. Yeah. No, we're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. But Sam's phone vibrates and she sinks into her seat to check it, realizing that it's fully charged and asking if Tiger also killed the battery. With the radio on, he obviously didn't, but Pat sensibly shuts off the engine. We pan across the back window of the van filled with stickers for punk bands and through the field of corn as the group unloads their equipment from the back. Sam consults her phone, telling the group that there's a skating rink about 11 miles from here with a big parking lot. Pat asks if it's ice skating or roller skating, but Sam replies that all she knows is they're open. Reese says that hockey players kick more ass, but Tiger disagrees, saying that he's seen some pretty badass roller skaters. You ever heard of roller derby? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I They're don't. badass. Yeah. Kick your ass. <laughs> Mine, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but Sam doesn't think that this will matter at 7 a.m., but snagging a bag from Pat tells him that she'll go with him. We cut to the two of them on Pat's bike, Sam riding on it in reverse and snapping a few pictures of the scenery with her phone. 
the hue is so green mm-hmm. and that kind of carries through the majority of the film yeah i thought that was very interesting the way she was riding like that because yeah. as a kid we always gave people rides on our bikes uh-huh. and it was never like that <laughs> so i was like that's pretty cool you get to you know what I mean? Check yeah. out the road, look around. You don't got to worry about, you know, holding on to your buddy for falling. You balance yourself right there. I will say she looked very cool. Yeah. She did. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it was like a seat back there. I think I would just be afraid of him losing control <laughs> or balance or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm too paranoid to even no. have fun, I think. <laughs> oh, no, it's dangerous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But- it's like, no, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Let's, let's be clear. But it was very cool. Yes. <laughs> But the pair arrive at the skating rink, ditching the bike and hiding behind a small hill. We see what was in Sam's bag, siphoning equipment. She passes the hose to Pat, and she grabs an empty gas can, and they crouch, rushing over to a car and popping open the gas tank door and twisting off the fuel cap. Pat has the unfortunate task of providing the suction to draw out the gasoline, which comes pouring through the tube and into the empty can. I was like, oh... Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I was thinking of when Otto did this on The Simpsons, and he had the mint before he <laughs> <laughs> before he sucked up. The just bad timing. <laughs> I maybe this is just me, but just take my wallet, dude, or take the money. Don't take the gas out of my car. How am I supposed to get You're home? Stranded now. now. Yeah. yeah, and then is that that's gonna hurt my engine, dude? When I'm trying to run the car without gas, and then it stops like a mile down the road now because I'm fucked. Well, how much are you taking? I, f- I feel like I, whenever I get in my car, I just accept whatever the bars are. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's like, oh, I guess I only have half a tank left. <laughs> no, now I'm like, how the fuck do we only have yeah. half a tank left? <laughs> <laughs> this thing goes down every fucking yeah. day. <laughs> well, you're driving every day. <laughs> I don't accept that. I don't like it. Um, no, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's awful. But they arrive back at the cornfield and we see them pushing their now fueled van out of the crops and onto the road. I really, this helps sell who they are. Yeah, a lot. They are early in their career and they're scratching and surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that obviously plays into basically every decision that's made that's not a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But atmospheric music plays over shots of the road through their windows, the rising sun shining through, and eventually a very sweet overhead shot of the van surrounded by trees in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe a nod to The Shining? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Take, a, Take shot. a shot. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did learn because I really like the there is such a dichotomy when it comes to the music. Mm-hmm. You have so much hardcore uh, music and then punk rock music. And then the score itself is so subtle. Yeah. And so subdued. I learned that the music was composed by Brooke and Will Blair, who are brothers of one of the co-stars slash producers of the film. All right. And we'll meet him later. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about him a lot later. Okay. But we then see a tight shot of a phone, fingers typing to give directions to the group, finishing with, I have a mohawk. We see a hand snag a bag and we meet its owner, Tad, played by David W. Thompson. Who has a mohawk. He does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you can't miss me. <laughs> <laughs> it's now dusk as he walks into the street, studded jacket, and yes, that promised mohawk. Mm-hmm. When the van pulls up with its headlights on, Tad greets Sam at the passenger side window, giving her the lowdown. He hands her the keys, telling her that he works nights, but that they're free to go to his apartment and crash. See, so right now I'm like, okay, so is this uh, a friend, an Airbnb? What's happening right now? You know what I mean? I, look, I, 
I, he's never met this band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I'm, I was like, okay, yeah. you know, what's very, happening? Very trusting of yeah. him. Very but accommodating. It, it, to me, it felt like one of those things where it's like we're both in the scene or whatever, or mm. we're all in the scene, so... I kind of trust you not to fuck me over because yeah, yeah. it seems like a like a community thing. But okay. they aren't from here. I mean, yeah. that, this is very nice of him. Yeah, <laughs> very trusting. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't even think about it until now. But it is clear across the country. Yeah, yeah. Because they're from D.C. We learn. Mm-hmm. But he tells them to park with their rear doors tight to the walls so no one steals their shit. It's like he knows. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> happened to me once. It's like I live here. <laughs> But Reese, driving now after Tiger's fuck up, agrees to the terms and we get a very beautiful shot of the town at night as the van continues up the hill. I wanted to talk about the cinematography in this film. Mm -hmm. It is gorgeous. Yeah. The film was shot by Sean Porter, who also shot Kumiko, The Treasure Hunter and Green Book. Okay. I guess all the green films. Yeah. (laughs) But it's very smart. They talked about it in an interview where we get a lot of wide open shots at the beginning because it's going to be so confined later oh okay okay that makes sense so it's yeah. like uh, selling the size of the world i guess yeah because it gets quite claustrophobic mm-hmm. yes and that's one thing that i meant to mention at the top in the intro is that i love so much these confined thrillers mm-hmm. agreed where it kind of you're so isolated and it takes place in such small quarters mm-hmm. yeah it takes really inventive ideas and creativity to make that work yeah yeah but the group arrives at Tad's apartment and just starts going through his things. <laughs> <laughs> Sam laments the fact that all of his ramen has mushrooms in it. I'm like, this isn't for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, how dare you yeah. not eat what I like? Yeah, Tad loves mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> but Tiger is into more important things. Tad's record collection. When Reese mocks Tad's hairstyle, Tiger disagrees and says that Tad is true. Sam returns from the kitchen, tossing a beer from a six-pack to Reese, prying into his cell phone usage because apparently she pays the bill. I did, there was some subplot, it seemed like, in the screenplay mm-hmm. that I think was dropped. Okay. Because there's, I, I read through it, but at the there's later on where they talk about his cell phone usage yeah. and who he's talking to. There's something about a deal, like a record okay. deal. Oh. And they're like, oh, that's why he was on his phone all the time. But then they never talk about this again in the film. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, because I thought I did thinking about it. That is weird because that it's that one time and that's and it. And that's it. And yeah, that's literally it. They're, they're a little busy later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, remember when he was on his phone all the time? <laughs> what the fuck is that about? <laughs> but even that, there's time from now until then there to, is, to yeah. say something. There is. I just, to me, it, it adds more to the realism of these are real people with real, like, they have real shit going on. Mm-hmm. And it just, Kind of all goes out the window after a certain point. It doesn't matter. That's true. But like right now where they are in this apartment getting ready for the the whatever they're doing. What are you doing? I pay the bill. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. shit that matters today and tomorrow you're not even thinking about it. You're using our minutes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But avoiding the argument, Pat excuses himself to go to bed as Tiger puts on a fear record and we hear the beginning of the song Legalize Drugs before we cut to the next morning, the needle casting the static sound of dead wax. Pat wakes up, cleaning up after everyone like Hank Hill when they were volunteer firefighters. (laughs) 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 He shuts off the record player, he empties the beer cans into the sink, he puts out a cigarette with a bucket of water. He (laughs) turns off the toaster. But he also opens the door for Tad. You know what's funny is that their band is called The Ain't Rights, and that boy... (laughs) 
<laughs> he ain't right. He ain't right. <laughs> At least he was cleaning up. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think this again, this says a lot. There's there's not really like detailed characters. Yeah. But you learn enough about these people to know who they are. Yeah. And this little moment from Pat, I think, is really helpful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But Tad smirks in amusement, asking Pat if he was the first one to fall asleep. We cut to Pat in the bathroom, feverishly washing off writings and drawings scrawled on his face in marker. We are no longer friends. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't permanent. Yes, yeah. but still, I, there's, I think, a very small range of ages where this can happen and we're still friends. Like, I just don't. <laughs> we're still yeah, dude, you don't mark my face. If I can wash <laughs> it off, <laughs> if I can wash it off in the morning, okay. Oh, you got me. I'm, no. you know, I'm a loser. I fall asleep first. But if it's permanent marker, yeah. And yeah, then we have, then, a, we have mm. shit to do today? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I'm mad. That... I'm, I'm mad. I will say, interestingly, this is foreshadowing. Okay. For something that we see later. Oh, yeah. it is. I didn't even catch yeah. that. But the group then assembles in the living room as Tad gets a small recorder primed for an interview. He announces that he's here with the Ain't Rights from Washington, D.C., but Sam corrects him, saying that they're technically from Arlington, which Tad takes in stride, telling the group that this interview is for Seaside HCFM, a college radio station. He asks the band if they're working on anything new, and Sam says that they have a few songs, maybe even enough for a 7-inch, and Reese adds that they might actually press it if they can afford it. Tad admits that he digs their analog style, but says because of this, they're actually very hard to find, and points to their lack of social media presence. Reese tells him that booking more shows and selling more records isn't the goal, and Tiger adds that this isn't hard rock. Pat concedes, though, that no one wants to starve, but he feels that when you take things virtual, you lose the texture of it all. He says you have to be there. Music is for effect. It's time. Aggression. It's all shared live, and then it's over. He says the energy can't last. Sam offers rightly, unless you're Iggy Pop. But after giving kudos to Iggy... Pat says that he doesn't want to be in his 70s still listening to Minor Threat. Now, I'm not here for the Iggy Pop slander. Not at all. <laughs> we share a birthday. <laughs> um, I feel like if that so if that was the subplot where he's talking about signing. Oh, right. Yeah. That kind of adds to why maybe he's not being forthright with it, because it seems like they kind of have differing opinions on the direction that they want to take things. Mm -hmm. Because this whole interview, it's like, is Pat okay? Like, he seems a little distracted or preoccupied or, I don't know, he just doesn't seem on the same page as everybody else. Yeah. He doesn't, I don't, I, I don't know. There's something that comes later that you're like, you don't have any answer at yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> I like, no, I don't really care for so music. <laughs> I've, I've never heard a song in my life. <laughs> That's me. Please don't ask me my favorite anything. <laughs> I, I, I do agree, though, about being there at a concert right seeing things live and yeah you you can always sit there and jam out you know i was gonna say to your favorite cd or whatever but i'm very old <laughs> um when you yeah, uh, like, stream yeah it? i was like what are you kids doing uh, <laughs> checks notes. but being being like when i seen kill switch in concert i can listen to kill switch all i want yeah but remembering that time when Kitty came on stage, God damn, dude, that was hearing BB King play on the fucking stage. I had to work, yeah. but I could hear it. That was just still different. It's like, man, I was jealous. I want to go see that. I can hear it, but you still feel it being there. You know what I mean? I and I, 
I always go back to the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds concert I went to. Yeah. And it's just like, the, it's it's an experience. Yeah. You can't replicate it. No. I think that, and that's the thing is that you see so often it shows people on their phones. Yeah. Like taping it. I get that. But I, I get for posterity. Right. It's just not, it's not the it's same. It's not yeah, the same. No. Pay attention to the band. Yeah. <laughs> and the rumble of the bass is different. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we all know it. Yeah. Everybody knows it. <laughs> But as far as being in your 70s and still listening to Minor Threat, Reese says that Tiger would like that. And Tiger admits that he probably won't live to see 70. Interesting. Tad laughs and then quickly segues into one of his interview traditions, asking each of the band members to name their Desert Island band. Presumably the band that each member would exclusively listen to if stranded on a desert island. Tad does not explain, but I thought it'd be nice to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I, that's what I thought, but I did Google it to double check. Right. Because like, I was, no, what band would you send to a desert island? <laughs> <laughs> well, because that it is. I was like, it's what completely do you different. mean? Yeah, like never listen to again or uh-huh. do like that's all I can listen to. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Which is it? You got to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like we don't know your traditions yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Radiohead has a great song called Desert Island Disc and I think Radiohead might be my Desert Island band alright very nice do you guys have yours well, absolutely not yeah, I, <laughs> well, it's, Jim and I. it's obviously ICP I that's, it. yeah, that's, yeah. Well, good for y'all <laughs> <laughs> alright Pat yeah <laughs> <laughs> but as far as answering the question Reese ponders Black Sabbath but only if he gets Ozzy and Dio greedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's banned. It is. It is. I feel like he's entitled to as a Gemini, he's entitled to <laughs> Tiger oscillates between the misfits and the damned, but Sam chooses poison idea and Reese finally settles on Cro-Mags. Pat, however, just sits there wordlessly. His bandmates jokingly offer Steely Dan, Candlebox, or Britney Spears, and Reese even supposes that Pat might be a juggalo. Yeah, no, that's all right. I'll give. I'll, Ew! I'll, I'll, I'm giving. I'll even give the movie a full point just for saying that. For mentioning it. That's it. Just for saying juggalo. Well, that's fine. He woke up with his face painted. Yeah, he did. He's halfway there. <laughs> but Pat nervously asks if Tad is going to edit this interview, and Tad says that he can, but Tiger tells him to just let it go raw. Sam interrupts the awkwardness, though, suggesting that they should plug their next show, depending on when this interview is going to air. Tad, though, very hesitantly, stops the recorder, telling the group that the last show he promoted at the Muni Center, where the band is supposed to play today, didn't end very well. There was lots of vomit and some fecal matter. The county commissioner caught wind of this and pulled Tad's permit, but the band was already en route, so it was too late to cancel. Are you pulling my dick, bro? <laughs> we no, because that would be okay. <laughs> we had to siphon gas to get here. Yeah, yeah. we were texting. Mm-hmm. That's it's. Are not, you yeah. fucking kidding yeah, me? Yeah, you could have said yes. something. Oh my god, no. I would. I would. Oof. I know that we're analog, but we've been using. We were yeah. texting. Yeah, yeah. we have, have phones. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would have went the other way in the corn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes. Wouldn't it came this Seriously. way? Seriously, yes. Oh, infuriating. Very. <laughs> But Reese tells Tad that he has to pay them a kill fee, and a very annoyed Sam shares exactly that. They went 90 miles out of their way to play this show. But thankfully, Tad has a backup plan lined up for them, which includes a 50% cut of the door and lunch. All right. I mean, 
What yeah. lunch? Yeah. <laughs> what door? <laughs> but he says that they'll even headline. Sam asks if anyone else is on the bill, and Tad responds honestly, no. No. <laughs> okay. So we're the opening act as well. Yeah. <laughs> and they were annoyed, but they took it really well. They yeah. did. But we cut to a small, dimly lit Mexican restaurant. The ain't rights set up in the back against a window. Reese hammers the drums as Pat fills out the rhythm section on bass. Sam saws power chords on her electric guitar and Tiger roars his vocals, which speak of hitting rock bottom, each verse concluding with him asking himself, what have I become? But Tad sits in a nearby booth, his hands following the patterns of the drums while a small crowd gathers, some of them filming on their cell phones. The song reaches a dramatic end and noticing the fan with the phone, Reese tells him to turn it off. The fan lowers his head in cartoonish embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually another true story from Sonia. Okay. He said that he played a show in the back of a very small Mexican restaurant. Yeah. He said, but it's, it, and it's very true the way he said it. He said it's, it's a combination of something so beautiful yeah. and very pathetic. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. And I was like a diner man. I'm like, come on, dude. You said somewhere else yeah i i would appreciate anything i could get yeah but these i don't think these people care that we're here oh no i don't think anybody gives a shit that we're here they like, didn't seem to no yeah they're just here to eat my dinner omelet yeah. was supposed to have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again and this is a, the slight commentary of the cell phone and just being there i think they're also trying to make a message there yeah, yeah. but we cut to the parking lot after the show as the guys load up their equipment, Sam counts their cut from the gig. Tad exits the restaurant to meet them, carrying two large plastic bags filled with food. He shares that he gave the Ain't Rights his cut, lamenting that the house got their cut, but he didn't get his. I was like, you shouldn't get yours. Yeah, yeah. you should yeah. probably stop fucking talking. Yeah. <laughs> because it was very like, no, I didn't even get a yeah. cut. Dude, and you better not We're have not bought that food <laughs> with our cut. <laughs> I know you said lunch was included, but that's a lot of food. Yeah. I think it was just rice and beans. That's it? I think that's what he said. Oh, no. there better yeah. be a protein, yeah. dude. Yeah. He was like, well, we got rice and beans. I think that's what he said. Oh. Hey, for the, the drive protein. back home, that's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like on the call, let's just get home. Mm. I'd, I'd be very upset. I'm I'm upset for them. Tad just needs to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, con I'm very conflicted on Tad, but we can talk more in a minute. <laughs> okay. A very disappointed Sam realizes that after the split, it's only $6 each. Oh my God, dude. Tad tries it, telling her that it's six eighty-seven, and if Yeah, she <laughs> rounds it up. <laughs> yeah, and if she rounds up. <laughs> but before he can finish, Reese slams him against the wall and through his grunts, calls Tad a dipshit fashion punk clown motherfucker. Now this line's very important. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would be, but it is. <laughs> But Sam just turns away and Tiger calls off the goon with Pat remarking that they don't want to go to jail. Reese lets go of Tad and Pat regretfully shares that Tad officially just ended their tour. Tiger is actually into this idea and Sam suggests that they just head back to DC. She says that they'll have enough money for one tank, but then they'll need to siphon the rest of the way. <laughs> I love that it's just part of the plan. <laughs> it is, yeah. They have the equipment just done ready. Yeah. I would be so sick with panic mm -hmm. anytime I would and they were just doing it like nothing yeah I'd be like so I'm gonna get my fucking yeah. fucking ass beat, dude. 
That's fine. <laughs> Dude, but then being out in the sticks, I'm yeah. sure that everybody's yes. got a shotgun or yeah. a rifle. Oh, hell no. And, and what's funny is that that's why they were having that discussion about hockey players versus roller skaters. Yeah. It's like, who would beat our ass more? Yeah. <laughs> who would beat it worse? We have to play a show tonight. <laughs> There's no fucking way. She's just like, I'll go with you. Yeah, it's like, dude. no, dude. I'd be like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> if, if Pat comes back. Yeah. <laughs> but Reese snatches the food from Tad, sarcastically commenting that it won't be a problem because, as you said, they have rice and beans. Pat ponders their route home, but Tad steps up with an offer. He says if they let him call his cousin, he can get them a solid gig. He admits that the scene is dead here, but if they dip down closer to Portland... I, I just have a couple things. First of all, they don't need to siphon because they can just get gas from the beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that what he's I'm talking sorry. about? <laughs> I'm sorry. Really? Um, are, yeah. you, are you doing a musical fruit joke? I, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's how vehicles work. I don't think but, so either. Uh, you, no, that's going to... I don't know how cars work. <laughs> I think that's going to get you arrested quicker than siphoning, dude. <laughs> What was he doing in that like, gas what tank? The fuck? Oh, you just you just hear boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's he doing in that gas tank? <laughs> no, but <laughs> in regards to Tad, on one hand, it's like, yeah, honestly, you owe it to us to mm. kind of try to find us another gig because six excuse me <laughs> 687 what is that going to do for anybody when we went 90 miles out of our way yeah and literally you just heard we don't even have gas money mm -hmm. yeah that was kind of my thought let's hear him out let's see you did already fuck us over That's you the owe thing. us so and I, we're gonna keep your 688 i i appreciate that aspect to of it but on the other hand it's like i never want to fuck with you again like oh, yeah. i and if we go to this place and then they're not you know what i mean i yeah. don't this connect is kind of burned. Like, I don't think I trust you at all. Yeah. And the difficulty is Tad seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. That's the thing. He genuinely does. So it's like, pardon me, would be like, all right, dude, like, what, what's, what are the details? But it's like, oh. And I'm also sorry, but <laughs> if I put somebody up against a wall and then the next thing they're like, I've got a <laughs> I've got a plan. I'm like, maybe we got our losses. <laughs> Let's just go back to DC. <laughs> That would be the smart thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Again, what's the theme of this trilogy? Yes. <laughs> but we cut to later that night outside of Tad's apartment. The Ain't Rights wait in the van for Tad, who is setting everything up. Tiger suggests that they should just bust in and steal all of his vinyl records. <laughs> like, we're already committing crimes anyway. Yeah. But before they can commit this crime, Tad returns, telling them that they're all set. A matinee tomorrow, doors at one, the ain't rights on at three, and he already texted them the address. When Sam asks how much they'll bank, Tad says they'll get $350 minus their tab. And if you round up from that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not rounding anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but he then warns the band that it's mostly boots and braces down there. And Tiger understands. Skins. But he says that there's some of them at every show. Pat asks if the skins are DMS or sharp, but Tad says that they're right wing. And then he says they're technically ultra left, but not affiliated. I just want to say the fact that he said that they're not affiliated. They're absolutely, they're definitely affiliated. No, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, maybe again, he doesn't know. Maybe. 
just uh, just a glance around this table, we'd never be invited to play in this oh, place. No. <laughs> no. But if we were, just hearing that, I think I'm gonna pass. Like I, it's it's a. Uh, Mm-mm. that's that's my note not I, I don't want to be any part of yeah i know i'm not allowed to be there because obviously they don't take kindly to to folks like right <laughs> yeah but i feel like if i was told that i'd be like i absolutely not yeah that's fine i appreciate it and you i do appreciate you being upfront about it I have we have to politely decline that that part because I feel like that this is why I kind of, my next note is despite all the fuckery he genuinely seems like a nice guy mm-hmm. because it would be one thing if we get there and it's like oh fuck mm-hmm. but he's telling you up mm-hmm. front and right on the back of playing at this diner who really didn't seem to give a fuck if we were there at all and getting paid 687 and rice and beans yeah. i'm good dude like i don't i know that you said 350 but you've said things before that did not pan out like mm-hmm. i i just and i know you get us in that van and we don't have a movie like i understand yeah. <laughs> that but i just this is uh this is the first of of, of many uh missteps mm-hmm. and i will say that this to me i i kind of with all the green lights all the green color in the film and obviously being called Green Room. Yeah. I wondered if Green was also a discussion about the things that people will do for money. Oh, oh okay. that's, I mean. Like the yeah. morals they'll sacrifice for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, like we just said, you get offered this even after the show that we just played. We're still going back to D.C. Yeah. yeah. Especially after what you just told us. There's no fucking way yeah. Yeah. I'm playing for these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. There is something that I did want to mention because I was very surprised to learn this, though, because Pat's question about DMS or sharp, mm-hmm. I did not know what these things meant. Right. I learned that sharp stands for skinheads against racial prejudice, which is a subculture of anti-racist, anti-fascist skinheads. That. Y- huh. Yeah. It that, sounds like an oxymoron. It yeah. does. Because what skinhead has become. Yeah. Right. I only knew about the one guy. Yes. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I, I literally assume I assumed every skinhead was a neo-Nazi. Yeah. Right. But I did look into it. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a civil rights firm who fights against racial injustice in the United States and also monitors hate groups. Mm-hmm. The history of the skinhead subculture, it actually emerged in England in the 1960s. Right. It was a non-racist, multiracial group who were working class and admired reggae and ska. What? Okay, no, yes. that makes sense. The ska? Yeah. That makes so much sense. Right? Yeah. The What, of course, happens a lot to groups is some point very early on, the subculture split into racist and non-racist factions. Yeah. Uh, the f- racist faction was co-opted by neo-Nazis. It spread to the United States in the late 70s, early 80s, and here we are. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's talk later about shoelaces, mm-hmm. and I did a little research on that. We'll get to it then. But learning what some of the laces mean, I was like, what do you mean? Like, yes. don't y'all hate everybody? Like, what? what is... So I, I was very surprised to learn that it's, you know... Well, I mean, it's 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 in other I mean, gang cultures as well. You wear your gang colors on your laces. People recognize you. Oh, that you're from so and so neighborhood or oh, you're affiliated with this group of people and you're friends with these people. Mm -hmm. I I stay away or we got beef as soon as I see you. Yeah. I was just surprised to learn that some colors mean like anti-racist or like really. Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) 
Huh. Like I, again, I thought there was one kind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that was interesting to learn. But Pat makes sure that Tad's cousin is cool, and he assures him that he is. But he tells Pat not to talk politics and to just stick with his cousin. Tad says that he'd come with them, but his cousin and his girlfriend are actually coming back to Tad's place to crash, so he has to clean up for them. I did not notice this the first time that I watched it, uh-huh. and then hearing it this time, I was like, okay, and I thought it was meant nothing. Yes, because you forget. I thought it meant absolutely nothing. Yeah. And it's funny because I was actually a little bit confused because I'm like, stick with him, but he's coming back. What's going yes. on? Yeah. But again, the first time I was like, whatever, get them to the venue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't no. give a fuck about your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about your life. Yeah. <laughs> you screwed over the end, right? Tad. <laughs> yeah, Tad. <laughs> but it's genuinely so important. Yeah. Yeah, it really, really is. But Sam attempts to clarify, making sure that these people aren't burning crosses or anything, and asking if they can just play rock music. Tad suggests that they play their earlier stuff, heavier stuff. Again, if we have to ask these questions, yeah, you're uh, you are not. D- don't go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a short film where the ain't rights just go back to DC. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and I, I kind of feel like if even if we're like, oh, we don't believe that or whatever, but we'll just play here. Like you're kind of complicit. Yes. In, yeah. Especially. Oh no, cater to them because they like. No, I'm not fucking yeah. catering to these fucking <laughs> racist yes. monsters. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, you guys shouldn't have done this. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But Tad passes over a poster that he drew for their gig, saying that he usually keeps the originals, but they can have it since the gig never actually happened. Sam accepts it and gives him permission to still run the interview the next day. Nearly crashed out in the back, Reese affectionately calls out, Hey, Tadpole, sorry I almost obliterated you. Tad accepts the apology, telling the group to take it easy. They speed off a blur of green lights through their windshield in the night. Tadpole was a really cute nickname. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this to me is something that we talked about off mic, but I I was worried as far as intentions, like yeah. you were saying, yeah. um, regarding Tad. Okay. Because again, he did almost obliterate him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very much uh, like when he's sizing somebody up in Sunny with, with his eyes. <laughs> but I was like, no, I think that you passed the vibe check. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that you're nice. Yeah. <laughs> Ocular pat down. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Tiger switches on a flashlight, the camera following his eyes as he looks at the poster, which features a skull, a disemboweled cat, and a crazed woman in her underwear holding a knife. Along with these drawings is the ticket price of $5, as well as the name Ain't Rights, scrawled in a puddle of some nondescript liquid. I, I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not after hearing about his last show. No, yeah. no, no, we're good. But Tiger passes the poster back to Pat, admitting that Tad can at least draw. Pat agrees that it's pretty sweet and passes it to Reese. After looking at it for a second, Reese gets very serious telling Pat that he's going to tell him something that he's never told anyone before. Pat leans in interested, and Reese, well, Reese farts. (laughs) (laughs) Those beans, I told you. (laughs) Everyone laughs, and Sam asks if the fart was real, and Tiger tells him to open a window. This is so uncouth. (laughs) (laughs) They needed a a moment of levity. I'd be like, don't fucking fart in here with the windows up, dude. Like, I'd be annoyed, but... We needed a laugh. Yeah. Like tonight sucked. It did. And I will say that comment from Sam is not in the script. And so I think that dude actually farted. <laughs> 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 
But the group stops and sets up a small campfire at a scenic site overlooking the water. The green lights of the nearby city are reflected into it, and the jovial group surrounds the glowing embers, and only the sound of the pensive score is heard. Jeremy Sonnier talked about this on commentary. Mm-hmm. He, for all of his films before Green Room, he shot them himself. Okay. And so this was the first film that he did not shoot himself, and he was kind of relinquishing this control. Mm-hmm. But this is the only shot in the film that he did shoot himself, because the next shot we see of the overhead trees... The cinematographer got stuck because of Portland weather. And so he was grounded where they shot that. Oh, oh. wow. And the film was shot so quickly that they say, couldn't. Yeah. There's no time to waste. And so he's like, I'll shoot this. But he's sending it to him. He's like, is this something you would do? Is this good? <laughs> Show must yeah. go on. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. They said uh, from inception, as far as the beginning of the script writing, mm-hmm. to the completion of the film's filming. Yeah. One year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So kind of wild. Yeah. But in the light of day, after an overhead shot of the greenest trees you've ever seen in your entire life, (laughs) we find the van alone on the road, disappearing past the bumpy asphalt. This is when I was like, oh, that's The Shining. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Take another, well, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the group passes a locked gate and we hear a dog barking as they make their way into a parking lot. There's more subtle foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But the camera stays fixed on a shot through the windshield of the car, and we notice a green gem on a chain hung over the rearview mirror, bouncing as the car turns and finally parks. There's green everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But the band gets out of the car to meet Daniel, Tad's cousin played by Mark Webber, who steps away from his black muscle car in a group that we will meet later. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm. But he greets them, and he introduces himself as Daniel after Sam asks if he's cousin Dan. Daniel comments that the group looks hammered, and Tiger says that one night at Tad's place will do that to you. He then tries to give Daniel advice, telling him that if his girlfriend's going to be crashing at Tad's, but Daniel puts his hand to Tiger's throat, quietly telling him not to mention that. Tiger tries to explain, but Daniel very calmly tells him, no worries whatsoever, but shut the fuck up about Tad, him, and his girlfriend. (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> yeah dude again <laughs> yeah i don't know how i didn't catch that. I know. that is just hitting me right now yes that's just hitting me right now because <laughs> i was like what did, okay so you're not as nice as dad no yeah. <laughs> i was like why is he so mad dad said you were cool yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. okay yeah it makes, okay yeah yeah i had i had to rewind it because i i did i was like what did i miss why i did rewound he- it too and then when I was like, oh, I was like, oh, you're, I was like, why are you mad about that though? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? And just threw it away. Yeah. I was like, all right. Cause so much shit happened. Yeah. I'm not thinking about this at all. <laughs> no. I'm not thinking about Tad. I'm not, none of this. Mm-mm. But Tiger nods nervously as Gabe, played by Macon Blair, joins them, asking which one of them is the drummer. So Macon Blair, as I said, we were talking about him. Mm-hmm. He's the brother of the composers. But he's also been friends with Jeremy Sonier since high school. Okay. Oh, cool. They work together a lot. He works as a writer for some of his films and as an actor in basically all of them. Okay. He was in, he was the lead in Blue Ruin. Ah, okay. Fantastic film, as I said before. <laughs> uh, but he, I think he was also in Murder Party. He also is a writer and director in his own right. Mm-hmm. He wrote and directed the film, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Have you heard okay. of that? I think it's Elijah Wood. Title. Mm -hmm. It is. I need to see it, but I heard it's very good. Yeah. 
I think it's Elijah Wood and Melanie Linsky, if I'm not mistaken. <gasps> oh. Say less. I'll have to look. Please don't at me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew JP would want to hear this. This guy, Macon Blair, mm-hmm. he also wrote and directed, and I think he co-stars in, maybe in a minor role, the remake of The Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah. And I, I was like, okay. I was like, all right. <laughs> And I'm glad you brought that up because he's also in another movie that I blamed your sister a lot for and she still gets. He's in, I. Uh, what is it again? I, th- I care a lot. I care a lot. He's in that? Yeah. I don't remember. I was like, I was like, I know that guy. I was like, I seen his face before. And I went and looked and I was like, he is in that. I, was like, he really? I feel like I, I buried that movie pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've tried to forget it. I've tried. I don't remember a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's been a long time since i felt yeah. disappointment like that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on moving on it was very interesting to me because sonye said that he didn't want any kind of feeling of nepotism yeah because of them being friends for so long he actually didn't want to cast him in this film because he was so after making blue ruin he saw him as that character mm. ah. and he's like there's no way that you could play gabe and so he had to audition Oh, wow. Uh, and he went and he got temporary tattoos. He shaved his head. He he did a self-tape. He sent it into the casting director and his best friend. Yeah. And he got the part rightfully. Okay. I'd be like, really, best friend? Yeah. <laughs> After this, we are no longer. <laughs> I don't want to be your fucking little movie anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, though. But even even for all the shit that Sam Raimi puts Bruce through, uh-huh. he's still he's in his movies for yeah. something. He's doing something. That's true. He's not making them go yeah. through. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bruce Campbell. I'm yeah. with I, <laughs> I will say, though, he adds such nuance to this character. Yeah. Because I feel like this character could have easily been extremely one note. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, like, almost conflict that he brings to this. Yeah. It's a lot of silent reactions. Yeah, and you're, and you're he, like, he wow. does an excellent job. Oh yeah, but Reese answers that he's the drummer, and when asked, he says that he'll be using his kit instead of the house kit. Gabe points Reese to where the load-in is and immediately walks back into the venue. Sam notices a small marquee out front advertising the bands that are playing tonight: Cowcatcher, Cositis, and Aren't Rights. Okay. Uh, All you right. guys have a good night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think um I think that's the Yeah. This is all I got jacked up for just saying, Oh, you and your girlfriend. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm this the vibes are yeah. very off. And cowcatcher, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess. That's an interesting name. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. we'll talk about them later. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> the aren't rights. Yes. Yeah. It ain't right. <laughs> it ain't right. <laughs> But the band, carrying their equipment, follows Gabe into the grimy club, hard rock blasting over the speakers as he leads them to the back. Through a dark hallway and past spray-painted walls, Gabe leads the band into the green room, telling them that they can rest here before they're set, but he warns them not to block the hallways because the owner doesn't fuck around with the fire codes. He tells them that they'll have a sound check in 15 minutes and then they're on stage in 20 Here's already a huge fucking problem. Mm-hmm. Right behind Gabe's head, you see the SS symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Well, weren't we told, though, that we were the only band playing here? No, no, no. That was the restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah, that okay. was the restaurant. Did like, Ted lie to you again? Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Did this motherfucker <laughs> God damn it, Ted. Yeah. He's like, we'll pay you $100. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> what? Oh my god! And some beans and rice. <laughs> you too? Dad said that's what you guys go yeah. by. <laughs> he said you prefer the food. You like, yeah. <laughs> you like getting paid in beans and rice or something? So he did screw him up. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's in your tour writer. <laughs> but Gabe heads back out, and they close the door behind him. Tiger walks over to a cabinet, a bunch of random stickers covering it, many of them symbols and slogans of hate and Nazism. Pat asks if he's okay, and still a bit shaken up from his interaction with Daniel, Tiger lies that he's fine. Sam plugs in a cord to charge her phone, commenting that these guys are creepy. Reese responds that they run a tight ship, and Tiger snarks that it's a U-boat. Not wrong. Not wrong. Pat looks around, though, surveying a Confederate flag as Sam does her makeup in a nearby mirror. He then gets everyone's attention, telling them that he has a dumb idea. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's both fucking awesome uh-huh. and the dumbest fucking yeah. thing you could do. Absolutely. Like, period. Yeah. But we cut to the band on stage for their sound check. A stagehand played by Michael Draper sorting through chords to plug into the Transformer. Tiger tests the mic with a meow, which might explain <laughs> might explain his name. Yeah. <laughs> Love that for him. The boy's a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> but Sam, slinging her guitar strap over her shoulder, leans over to Pat, who seems to be having cold feet about his own idea. Sam tells him that if he backs out now, she'll tell everyone that he's Jewish. The fact that that is a joke that you can make in this place yeah. means yeah. that we should not be here. No. Yeah. Like, when you walk in and that's the graffiti on, because he's like, yeah, like dismissively, there's some at every show, whatever. And even if you accept that, this is not just some at every show. No. Yeah. If this, if you have a that fucking flag in the, in the green room, you have this graffiti on the walls, this is the majority this is accepted this is you know mm-hmm. either everybody feels this way or everybody else is cool with everybody that feels this way yeah and either way we shouldn't fucking be here like Mm-mm. we should not be here and there i are, know that's beating a dead horse but, but st- seriously, everything yeah, yeah. inside of me just watching them is screaming get the fuck out of here oh yeah and there are two flags that are draped on either side of the stage yeah one of them is clear with nazi insignia yeah the other one we don't see completely but we see red and we see white uh-huh okay so these are on the stage yeah, yeah. again mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. I see that flag on a sticker on somebody's car here. And I'm like, I'm, I, oh, no, am not, yeah. you know, no, we're not going to get too close. We're not going to, because I don't want to generalize. You know what? Fuck it. I don't know what you're capable of. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, that already, uh, no, no pun intended. That is a huge fucking red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I'm standing in front of this and perform. Uh, nah, dude. Like, I, and, and that's another I'm sorry. thing. Yeah. That's kind of what got, me thinking about as far as what people will do for money yeah because you should not be playing here no and I, not I feel at all. like it's a statement too just about the grind of it all and yeah. being like look we're in this phase where we're we're scratching to survive we got paid in fucking beans and rice last night but there still has to be a place where you draw the line and yeah. it's like yeah i this is like i mean i'm not trying to be dramatic but it's like selling your soul almost like yeah. i'm not I don't stand for this, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I was just like, God, this ain't right. No. (laughs) You were correct. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I, I, I was the the same thing. I was like, you guys shouldn't be here. No, they're uh, pretty much we're the enemy. They don't yes. care. They don't care for us. Yeah, and like you, honestly, the same thing. If I see that on your car, you're like, oh, whatever. For me, okay, it's not more of a oh, you're what are you gonna do to me or whatever. It's like okay, well now I need to watch you. Yeah, because if I I feel like if you're gonna attack me, guess what, dude. You only know violence. I'm just going to give you what you want. What I mean? I don't. I, you know what I mean? I can't take my chances here because I'm afraid, you know, what? how are you going to act a fool here? Or yeah. you're going to whatever. You're not safe. That's the thing. You immediately feel unsafe. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, I, what they're about to do, props for doing it. Mm-hmm. It takes massive balls. Yeah. But you are opening yourself up to situations where things are already heightened mm-hmm. and who the fuck knows? Who knows what is going to happen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Pat just looks increasingly nervous as Sam motions to Tiger to start the show. Tiger greets the crowd, introducing the band as the Ain't Rights or the Aren't Rights. Either one. Two, three, four. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. But feedback screeches as Reese sits ready at the drum kit and he does count the band in in a pretty fantastic way, as I just said. <laughs> <laughs> But the Ain't Rights rip into a Dead Kennedys cover, which is fitting because Sam is wearing a Dead Kennedys t-shirt. Mm-hmm. But after shouting a verse about punk being about inclusivity, acceptance, and individuality, the band tears into the chorus with Sam and Pat on backing vocals. Nazi punks fuck off. Amazing. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. It is very bold. It's yes. Very brave. Um, the audience reaction, I couldn't help but laugh a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're like, mm, no. Yeah. No. Why? I never. <laughs> it's like, you they, you guys are offended. They did yeah. seem pretty hurt. It was <laughs> wild. Like, this is our house. Yeah. How dare they? <laughs> um, I will say that I did read that Sonia, even in the 90s, whenever he was playing in his punk bands, mm-hmm. he said that this was an issue at their shows. Right. You do a punk show, he said, and Nazis showed up. That's yeah. Oh, my God. And then he said the same thing. I, I read that that was obviously the reason of using this song. Mm-hmm. And this was the only song that he said was actually in the script because it was so important to use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when they got the rights to it, they were like dancing. Yeah. But Dead Kennedys had the same issue in... Their time. Right. They're trying to do a show and they're like fucking Nazis are showing up to our fucking shows. Is that why they wrote it? Yes. And so that was the thing about this is that instead of being like, well, because a lot of people say, well, you can't pick your audience. The Dead Kennedys are like, fuck you. We can't. Oh, yeah. You know? And so they write a song like this and they're like, you're not welcome here. Yeah. And so that, I think, again, is very bold. And again, the fact that they went into the lion's den and played the song, the Ain't Rights. Yeah. They're all right. No. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they are right. Yeah. But I think in it, it, this is something and I don't I won't go uh, too far into it because I know that you got a message of distaste in the past, T. I did. But that's the thing about, you know, politically as well. It, it's been a conversation in the last handful of years of when these people, when a group of people think that you're speaking to them mm-hmm. and you're not speaking to them, you need to publicly say, this is not for you. Yes. I'm not catering to you. I'm not speaking to you. And there are some people that don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some people, the ain't rights, dead, dead Kennedys, Kennedys, 
that too. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I, I feel like there's a difference between the Ain't Rights playing at a Nazi venue. Yeah. And Dead Kennedys just having these people show up and then being like, no, no, no. Like, no. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would be worried about our van in the parking lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would be worried about us going into the parking lot after the show. Mm-hmm. I would be, I, this is uh, terrifying. Oh, yeah. And again, major hats off, props, whatever, because this takes balls yeah but uh i'm scared (laughs) (laughs) we can't teleport out of here we gotta leave leave. (laughs) and we're the only van they don't recognize yeah (laughs) yeah they know we don't belong the only van with that without a swastika yeah (laughs) we're fucked oh god but the crowd responds very negatively to this song some wearing ss bomber jackets and others even throwing their drinks at the band Tiger dodges the bottle and just keeps going. But Worm, played by Brent Wersner, stalks the crowd, maintaining eye contact with Pat. Worm takes a sip of his beer and spits it aggressively in Pat's direction, but Pat just continues strumming his bass guitar as fear and worry settle on his face. Yeah, we uh, probably shouldn't have done this. Um, It's just the is this fucking play about us energy? Uh, yeah. yeah. And Gabe is looking around like, I told these guys you're yeah. cool. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it, well, maybe move Pat lot. to the back. They see yeah. that you're scared. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put Tiger yeah, up front. Tiger. <laughs> he seems more aggressive. Yeah. He's like, oh God. <laughs> but Worm is followed by a couple of cohorts. Guitarist played by LJ Clink and drummer played by Casey Brown. Worm, guitarist, and drummer are Cowcatcher, the band. But Pat also notices Emily, played by Taylor Toons, and Amber, played by Imogen Poots, who lights a cigarette. They sidle up next to Daniel, who passes Emily a folded-up note. Gabe watches them through the crowd as the Ain't Rights blast through another chorus before the song collapses in on itself and the people in the crowd shout for them to fuck off. So much is happening right now and i am too astonished and afraid for our band Mm -hmm. for the ain't rights to realize that a lot of important things are happening in the crowd right now yes Uh, like extremely important things like one that drives the plot forward yes one incredible character moment yes and it's just happening and I'm just like, oh, God, they're going to get jumped in the parking lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm just- so scared. <laughs> I'm not paying attention to anything. <laughs> it all does happen quick, though. Yes. So it is. It is. This is worth a rewatch to watch it a couple of times. For sure. Yeah. But Tiger thanks them, telling them that the song was a cover, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's out of breath and he asks Sam what they should play next. She suggests their song, Coronary. The musicians then blast into a heavy start and stop intro. The crowd, they won them back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, yeah. it was just the covers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was the Dead Kennedys. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> I was like, all right. Very weird. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, but this sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> this is their old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot heavier than the other things. <laughs> But everything suddenly dips into slow motion. The Ain't Rights beautifully in sync in their energy in the way that only a band playing a live gig can be. 
Their energy becomes infectious, winning the crowd back (laughs) as they sway and mosh and thrash in a series of tight shots accompanied by the atmospheric score. Beautifully shot. I loved this. This is being at a concert, man. Yeah. Like that, minus the Nazis, because fuck them, we don't want them there. (laughs) But the band and the slow motion and all that and drinking and you're just like, in that moment, it feels like that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like this is another thing that really captures that nostalgic. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just so well done. I I will not... I, nobody's stopping me. <laughs> I don't know why I'm <laughs> being so defensive. Uh, all I was trying to say was that this film is very well crafted. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not afraid to say it. And nobody's going to stop me from saying it. <laughs> I did want to point out, which was very interesting, the Ain't Rights... They performed all the songs, the actors. Yeah. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. They were co-written by a hardcore musician called Joel Grind. Okay. And his bandmates, but they taught them to the actors. Shawcat and Yelchin had experience playing instruments, Mm -hmm. but Turner and Cole did not. Yeah. And so Cole learned the drums from a musician named Lisa Schoenberg, who's a Portland-based drummer. All right. But he learned drums from scratch for this role. (laughs) Very nice. I never would have guessed that they all couldn't play beforehand. Right. No. Like, they, it's great. It sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I saw in a feature ad at the rap party that they performed... Ain't right songs. That's really cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, that's wild to me, is the tracks were pre-recorded by the actors. Okay. And so you hear it, they're playing over their tracks, like miming it. Yeah. But the way that they did, like the music supervisor adds the feedback, all, all this stuff, yeah. it all feels like live energy. Yes, yeah. it does. It's just so well done. I wonder how well Sex Babam would have done here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant yeah <laughs> but we cut to a speaker blasting music in the dingy hallway leading to the green room the ain't rights walk into the frame finding gabe and big justin played by eric edelstein on commentary sonye was talking about the casting process for big justin mm-hmm. the way that he found eric edelstein he goes well i went on imdb pro and i just saw his picture and i was like oh okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> really all All right right. yeah Yeah. it worked yeah Yeah. he said he called into audition and that was it (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) like good for you dude but big justin who lives up to his name and frame and stature counts a wad of cash standing next to the closed door of the green room with the ain't rights gear stacked outside in the hall sam asks about the fire code that gabe mentioned earlier and justin just excuses it saying that they just had to make room for the headliner cow catcher Justin, clearly in some kind of rush, hands Sam the cut for the band and tells everyone to follow him in the opposite direction. The band snags their gear, but Sam remembers that she left her phone on the charger inside the green room. Her hands full, she remarks that she forgot her phone and Pat sets down his things to go get it for her. So again, it's very interesting because several times throughout the film already, Mm -hmm. the phone has been very important to Sam. Yeah. Yeah. She's the one texting Tad. Right. She That's the first thing that she does when she woke up with the crashed van. Mm-hmm. She cared more about her phone. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. And so it's setting up this thing of it being very important to her. And so right. of course she wouldn't forget it. 
Yeah. Then why'd you forget it? Well, <laughs> she was on stage. She no. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's still going to stay in my pocket. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I would not leave it in the green room. No. no. Especially not what we knew we were going to go out yeah. there and do. Yeah, it's true. We might need to make a very hasty. In fact, Reese, just use their drums. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we might have to get the fuck out of here really fast. But Pat casually lets himself into the green room, knocking as he does, but immediately scooping up Sam's phone and charger. But then he freezes when he sees Amber standing antsy at the far end of the room, guitarist brooding closer to him, and Worm sitting in a chair close to Amber. The camera dips down, revealing, just as Pat sees it, Emily's dead body on the floor right in front of the couch, the handle of a knife jutting out of the side of her head. Distraught and against guitarist's protests, Amber asks Pat if he'll call the cops as Worm stares at him menacingly. I I was, I, I'm not going to lie, I was a little uh, taken back at how I felt because I was like, dude keep your head down i don't know why you're i didn't i, I didn't see nothing dude i don't I, like what happens next i was like dude are you fucking serious <laughs> he's like Whoa! Yeah. Like, oh god <laughs> I was like, are a you dead body <laughs> yeah. but, but no i get it yeah i know i know where you know where we are yeah you guys are busy yeah uh-huh. have a great set <laughs> yeah we so warmed them up never, for you yeah. they cool might be a little pissed off <laughs> gotta go <laughs> Um, I will say though, I, and we're laughing, but I know that I would do exactly what Pat does next. No, yeah, it's it's, but, it's horrifying, and then especially you're just da 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 da, like going in there, like it's, you know, it's jarring. Yeah, but I feel like I would immediately downplay, like, look, we're not from here, we don't know you, like this yeah. is not our business. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't, see nothing. Like, don't yeah. ask me to call the police, dude. Yeah. Like, don't, no. don't. No, he's like, just, that's, that's how she sleeps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's her business. <laughs> Everyone's different. Uh, <laughs> just say no and then do it outside. Yeah. He's like, yes. no, I will not help you. I see nothing. You, I'm going to yes, take off, guys. Just get the yeah. fuck out of there. And then just get call the fuck out of there. While yeah. you're in the van. Yes. Driving away. Yes. But Justin, realizing that the entire band isn't with him anymore, shouts through the hall as he pushes his way back to the green room. Pat immediately begins dialing on Sam's phone as Justin stands in the doorway, angry that Pat didn't do as he was told and just follow him out. Pat forces past Justin, who tries to snag him but just rips off his jacket. The Ain't Rights run interference as Pat stumbles down the hallway, connecting to the police and frantically telling them that there's been a stabbing. He bumps right into Gabe and Drummer, Gabe able to seize the phone from Pat with his frantic fingers ending the call. Gabe throws his hands up like, what the fuck, to Justin, who regretfully tells him that they didn't lock the door. Amber watches from behind guitarist in the green room as Gabe tells everyone not to talk or to touch the ain't rights. He tells the band to stay put, and Sam asks him what happened. Gabe just responds, something terrible, and he tells them that he'll be right back. Gabe fast walks to an adjacent trailer behind the back exit of the venue, and the camera lingers while he's inside, and then follows him as he exits the trailer and heads back into the venue. Punk music still blasting through the speaker, Gabe returns to the hallway with a gun. Not a gun. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why, and at the time, I'd be so mad. Why'd you have to walk in and see them killing somebody? <laughs> like, you brought them right to us? Yeah. It's, such a, it's such a sharp and unexpected turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you just know what they just did on that stage. They're going to 
pay the toll for that. Oh, yeah. They're going to have to answer for that. No. They no. were leaving. Yeah. yeah. They were leaving unscathed. And then they walk in on a fucking murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's just so... <laughs> Why did you do that? It's so yeah. sad. Like, I think we want him back with coronary, yeah. dude. <laughs> they really like it. Like, oh, my it. God, a lady's been murdered. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so unexpected. It is. Yeah. But Gabe calmly tells the Ain't Rights not to worry and to just get back inside the green room. Sam's phone then rings in Gabe's hand with a call from the emergency call center, and he assures the band that everything is okay and leads them back to the green room. I will say, again, there's something about his energy as an actor. Mm -hmm. Even though he's clearly a piece of shit, yeah. why do I trust him that everything's okay? That's what I'm saying. There's, <laughs> there's a weird nuance to his character. Yeah. Because it's almost like you don't want to be here, but I know you do want to be here, but yeah. part of me is like... Do you feel bad for us? Like I don't know. It's like it, it's very, very weird. Mm -hmm. uh, almost non-threatening. Like yeah. you yes. don't want to hurt us. Yes. I get it. Like if we're looking worm, he wants to hurt us. <laughs> yeah, worm no, wants yeah. to hurt us. Big Justin wants to hurt us. Mm -hmm. You seem reasonable, and you're like nobody touched them. You know, if I gotta trust any Nazi here, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trusting you. <laughs> Wow. So <laughs> not my first choice. Uh, no. No. But Tiger, Reese, and Sam are confused as they walk back into the room, but their confusion quickly dissolves when they find Emily's body on the floor like Pat did. Gabe tells Drummer to turn the music down as they re-enter the room with Justin and close the door behind them. Justin argues with guitarist over the fact that the door wasn't locked, and Drummer shuts off the music. The phone's still ringing, Gabe points his gun around the room, telling everyone to be quiet as he answers it. He very calmly tells the dispatcher that they got cut off. And as he exits the room, he tells her that he was calling to report a stabbing. So again, at this point, you're like, all right. Yeah. yeah. He's doing, you know, he's just picking up where I left off. He'll <laughs> <laughs> take it from here. <laughs> we'll be fine. But the room remains quiet, various reactions of frustration, shock, fear, and confusion pervading the small space. But Gabe returns after the call, assuring Justin that someone named Darcy is on his way, and that he knows about the body, but he doesn't know about the witnesses. Reese tells Gabe that he can't keep them here and that he has to let them go, and Gabe assures them that they're not being kept here, they're just staying. He passes the gun over to Justin, telling him that he's up. Tiger asks what this staying is supposed to mean. Yeah. And a very frazzled Gabe just shouts for them to relax. Man, we're not leaving, are we? No. no. <laughs> it kind of feels like we're... I know you said we're not being kept, but yeah. it kind of feels like we're being kept. Yeah. <laughs> he just pulled out a thesaurus and yeah. <laughs> you're staying. <laughs> but he repeats this order for them to stay calm telling them that the cops are on their way before leaving again. Justin then makes a show out of locking the door, demonstrating how easy it is to do for guitarist. But Amber snaps, rushing for Worm, calling him a motherfucker, and screaming for him to look at what he did. Guitarist tries to calm her down, pulling her off of Worm, as the Ain't Rights watch in horror. But in a nearby office, Gabe finds Clark, played by Kai Lennox, sitting at a desk and going over paperwork. Clark learns that Darcy isn't here yet when he asks Gabe, but he's surprised when Gabe asks him for $600, considering he just got $350 to pay the band. Gabe explains it simply, someone is dead. Clark sighs, 
reaching for the cash to count it out for him, reminding Gabe that they still need to keep their books. So murder is whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So this is in my notes where I was like, "Mm, I'm a little concerned because on one hand, I feel like what we've interacted with Gabe so far and the things that he has said about someone named Darcy, Mm -hmm. he's clearly an underling. Yeah. And maybe we can convince him, look, we, we don't want anything to do with this, whatever. Because he, you know weirdly seems the most reasonable right. out of everybody that we've met mm-hmm. but the fact that neither he nor clark batted an eye no to someone having been killed is very concerning <laughs> yeah <laughs> to say I the least yeah. i don't feel good about that <laughs> but with the 600 dollars in hand the men leave the office trailer after locking up clark asking gabe what else he needs as they walk off together Gabe tells him that he needs a true believer, and Clark says that he can supply him with two. And I really no. don't like the sound of yeah. that. <laughs> no. This isn't Stan Lee saying that? No, no. <laughs> but back in the green room, Sam steps out from her bandmates, pondering, maybe Emily isn't dead. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> the, mm, yeah. <laughs> this earns a scoffing laugh from guitarist, rightfully, but Sam points to the fact that there isn't a lot of blood, so maybe. But Worm decides to pull a McCready and show them something we already know. <laughs> he leans down, seizing the handle of the knife, which moves Emily's lifeless head to one side. And when he tries to tear it out, her body jostles and he begins to drag her towards him by the blade. Worm then wrenches the blade from Emily's skull to a grimace from the group. And as blood pours in a steady stream from her head, Worm calmly tells Sam, Woomp, there it is. Thank (laughs) you. Did you you know it's Woomp? Yeah, (laughs) Woomp. I thought it was Woomp, but I was also a child at the time. I... I understand he's got a gun. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But if even if you just had a pocket knife on you while he was trying to take the knife out of her head, fucking slit his throat. Stab him in the temple. I mean, in the neck. In anything. I want to go home. (laughs) Well, they didn't know. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. If you're doing that. Then you're bad. (laughs) Look, to us. This is a random dead person, but to y'all, that was that your is, friend. You yeah. know so her. So even we're like, we seen her in the crowd with, with you. With you. To Again, these are random people to us, but that was your friend, and you're just pulling this knife out of her head like nothing. We're not leaving alive. No. We need to take you out. Yeah. That's it. And I feel like this might, this guy might be bad news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this guy's a real jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, it's wild because they were talking about the quiet introduction of characters and we saw all of them before the crowd shot. Yeah. They were standing with Daniel at his car Mm -hmm. and it's wild because they were hanging out together. Yeah. And this is how it's just, I, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But seeing this gruesome display is the last straw for Reese who tells the rest of the band that they have to go now. Tiger approaches Justin, promising him that they didn't see anything. But when he gets too close, Justin raises his hands calmly to Tiger, telling him to just wait and that the cops are on their way. The stab drag situation? Mm -hmm. Sonia said on commentary that he was up late one night and he was watching a prison documentary. Okay. And he saw this in the documentary. Oh, man, I believe it. Yeah. 
And he said that this, putting it in the film like this, this gruesome, was his way of working it out and kind of getting over it. Okay. Ugh. Yeah, there's wild shit goes on in there, man. I'm just like, why were you, why'd you do that? Like, we all know she's dead. Let her cling to That's what I'm saying. delusion yeah. for a little bit longer. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to hurry and get yeah. out. Our name's Paul. Yeah. Like, literally, this had nothing to do with that. Tiger tried it. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But outside the venue, Gabe stands before Twin One and Twin Two, played by Jake and Kyle Love, telling them that it's time to go above and beyond. Gabe asks if they need him to do it, but they assure him that they can handle it because it won't be the first time. What? Yeah. Yeah. Remember a little low and to the left. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's Billy and Stu yeah. all over again. <laughs> but police sirens wail in the distance as Gabe hands one of the twins a knife and tells them to hurry up. They seize each other and one of the twins braces for the blade of the knife, telling his brother, go. We hear the knife break the skin and as the sirens get closer, Clark tells them that that's good enough. Gabe asks to see it, and the stabbed twin raises his shirt to show off the fresh wound, but Gabe was actually asking for the knife. He reassures them that it's an inch too short for felony possession, and then after thinking about it for a moment, he tells the stabbed twin to give him back the money that he paid him. (laughs) (laughs) This is so much, because I'm like, oh, so we need a non-lethal stabbing, because this is what the cops called back mm-hmm. um so he got 600 from clark right yeah so we're getting 300 a piece <laughs> i feel like if i'm getting stabbed i should get at least five yeah something <laughs> well he says he says he'll hold the money yeah and if the stabbing twin gets arrested they'll pay him double so okay. he, he'll get the six. Okay. <laughs> well, it's not. Oh yay! <laughs> the, you <know>? cool. <laughs> the stabbed twin is like, I'm feeling woozy. Yeah. Here. <laughs> like, what, what about me? <laughs> Do I get double yeah. for anything? <laughs> I think that was my pancreas. <laughs> <laughs> you need that. I need a new one. <laughs> but two police cars round the corner into the parking lot, and out step Cop One and Cop Two, played by October Moore and Joseph Berteau. Cop 1 has both twins kneel, and we see a dark van pull up behind the cops and park closer to the building. Out of the driver's side walks Darcy, played by Patrick Stewart. He tells his men to give the police room to work, and he confirms that he's the owner when asked. This is such a shock Mm -hmm. to see Jean-Luc Picard, (laughs) Professor X, Mm -hmm. behaving in the manner that he does and mm-hmm. saying the things that he does. Deputy Director Bullock. Oh, yes. Deputy Director yes. Bullock. <laughs> I um, watched several interviews with him where invariably the interviewer will ask or comment on the fact that this is such a departure from the roles that he normally plays. Mm-hmm. And each time he was like, well, I don't think I really play any one type of role. And I'm like, well, I never see you. <laughs> I've never seen you do some no, shit like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say that. I'm not saying that you're typecast, but this is new. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for me anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, I read an interview with him where he was talking about the fact that he was emailed the script for this which i guess is kind of just what happens now it's sent through email hmm. according to him and he said that he doesn't like reading on his computer 
But if it's something that he doesn't think he'll be interested in, he'll skim it on his computer. And if it's something that actually looks interesting, he'll print it out. And he printed it out after Mm. he barely started it and he printed it. And he said that he was reading it, that his home is kind of isolated, that it's like surrounded by gardens and stuff. And that he was reading it with like a, a scotch or something. And about 30 pages in, he got up and made sure that all the doors and windows were locked because he was so unnerved. <laughs> and he was like, I, I want to be a part of this. And wow. I think it said that or he said that it was from him receiving the script to getting on a plane to start filming was 10 days. Wow. Damn. But that he knew immediately that night that he wanted to be a part of it. All right. I had read uh, Sonia did an interview where he was talking about how they got him involved. Okay. Because obviously this is a huge get. Yes. Oh, yeah. And so what he had said was, as it turned out, after Blue Ruin, he got new management and it ended up being the same management as Patrick mm. Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just the simple fact of having a connection yeah and a shot in the dark because he's like patrick stewart will not want to do yeah Yeah. patrick stewart wants to do it yeah he's like i don't play any one type of (laughs) (laughs) i play nazis all the time dude i don't think you do patrick (laughs) it's like sir (laughs) sir patrick i don't think so i don't think so i've never seen you do that no (laughs) calm down charles yeah And I will say, um, at the start in this scene, we don't see his face, but that voice is so recognizable. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, last week we talked about him (laughs) not appearing, and here he is. Yeah. Yeah. But back in the green room, the ain't rights wait patiently as they were asked to, along with everyone else who sits either in chairs or on the floor. There's suddenly a knock on the door, and it's a returning Gabe who tells Cowcatcher to clear out. Pat wonders where the cops are, and Amber asks Gabe what they're doing. Gabe assures her that they're sorting it all out and just tells her to hang tight. Guitarist and drummer leave without incident, but as Worm approaches the door, he stops and turns back to the ain't rights. After a tense moment of silence, he tells them that their set was pretty good. Pat is taken aback, especially when Worm asks, What was the name of your second-to-last song? Pat thinks for a moment, remembering, toxic evolution. Worm comments that it's fucking hard, and then he whispers to Pat, that's the one I did her to. This man needs to be locked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you've ruined that song for yeah. him. <laughs> Moving forward. So we're never you. playing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot let this guy roam free. Yeah. Oh, this is the one that Worm liked? Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Got it, yeah, got it, no, got it, got it. No. See, again... We, we gotta we gotta get rid of this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as Gabe leads Worm out of the room Pat lets out a breath that he didn't realize he was holding Justin shuts the door and locks it behind them but Reese is already formulating a plan of attack he loudly says that Justin only has six bullets which constitutes <laughs> an incredulous Justin he's like are you fucking kidding me yeah. and he just points the gun at them what did you think is gonna happen listen I have very much a soft spot for Reese. Yes. Yeah. Moving forward, I feel like he is the MVP. Mm-hmm. He, is. he and Sam, to me. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but shh. Yeah. <laughs> Be a little quieter about it's your plan. Right there. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> but Sam reminds Justin that they haven't done anything, but a defeated Amber who still sits on the floor tells her that it doesn't matter. Justin decides to correct Reese. They're not bullets, they're called cartridges. He says the bullet is the part that'll enter his brain if he doesn't stop talking shit. 
He also shares that this gun only holds five cartridges, not six, because they're big as fuck and only five will fit the cylinder. Uh, thank you yeah. for the crash course on ammo. I really appreciate <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What was it? Big Justin? Yeah. <laughs> so after listening to that, can we leave? Or is, that, I really <laughs> is that all you wanted? Was just teach us, teach us about the gun? a training course right now. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You've changed our life, Big yeah. Justin. I'll see you Monday, Big <laughs> Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could just move a little to the left. Hell, Clitler or whatever the fuck yeah. you say. To, to the left. Yes. <laughs> to one side, please. But Justin asks politely for Reese to shut the fuck up and not to test him. Tiger tells Reese that he's just making it worse, and Justin tells them once again, we sit and we wait. Amber rises to her feet, asking if they'll also die, but Justin assures them that they won't if they just sit and wait. I will say once again, with the, the characters not necessarily being completely fleshed out, yeah. but still feeling real and genuine to themselves. Oh, no, yeah. Because Reese has already proven that he's not afraid to get scrappy. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I mean, if there's ever been a time to get scrappy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the time is now. The time yeah. is now. Puppy well, power. <laughs> <laughs> well, even um, Emily, uh huh. even she's like, dude, we're not getting out of here. Oh, Amber, Amber, sorry. Amber, okay, Amber, Amber yeah. okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Emily's but, not getting out of here either. No, no. yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's permanent. Yeah. She's definitely not. <laughs> it's a different story. <laughs> but hearing that again, to us, they're randoms, but that's their friend. Yes. She knows them. Hearing her saying that or even being like, dude, just give up. It's, I'm going to be fine. Well, hold on now. No. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Plus, I don't trust you like i don't know you were i i know that she was like call the cops but i i would still be heavily side-eyeing her yeah yeah you don't get to say in any i'm sorry no you're, but they're holding you, her you're just at like least us. nazi adjacent no. yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. And I, at best. yeah i watched you you've been hanging out with nazis all day yeah, yeah. i don't trust you no. No, you were scott dancing i see yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but outside darcy gabe and clark go through the ain't rights van Gabe recounts the recent calls made on Sam's phone, one to the police from Pat at 345 and the call that he received at 347. As Clark searches inside, Darcy asks who else knows about this situation aside from Daniel's cousin. Gabe replies that Tad knows that they're here, but he doesn't know anything else. But Darcy says that Tad not only knows who they are and where they are, but he might also know where they're supposed to be next. He orders Gabe to check their emails, but Clark reminds them, the Ain't Rights played their set to the crowd, which leads Darcy to assume that the whole world knows that they're here and they'll be tracking it. I mean, a safe assumption to operate yeah. on. Yeah. Not that I'm rooting for this no. dude, but no. everything that I've read, he's described again and again as pragmatic. And I, it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sonia said that during the writing process, every single character, he thought logically about what they would really do or say. Okay. And so I feel like every single thing that happens kind of rings true to the characters he's written. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's astounding. But Gabe hands Sam's phone off to Clark, who wipes it with a cloth, and he explains to Darcy that he was just trying to contain this whole situation and buy them some time, admitting that everything happened very fast. Darcy takes umbrage with the word contain, but says that he appreciates Gabe's initiative and that they all love Worm. He's like, <laughs> <we> all, <laughs> everybody knows. <laughs> it's his Christian name. It's a, yeah. Worm. It's a shining star. Yeah, we all love Worm. Everybody knows that. <laughs> but Gabe comments that Worm is a brother. 
And Darcy snidely remarks that he could have visited him while he was in prison then, saying that it makes a difference. It's like, can we just focus on the van, please? Yeah. So, <laughs> so is he saying you should have just let him go down for this because he did it? I mean, that's what it sounds like. A little bit. I didn't know if he was saying that or if Worm has been to prison previously and he's like, you didn't visit him. Yeah. I couldn't no, tell. It felt like, look, he did this. Yeah. You could have visited. If he's our brother, you could have visited him inside. Oh, that's, like you shouldn't have. You yeah. shouldn't have yeah. covered it up. You shouldn't have done the whole stabbing twins. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, <laughs> you did a lot that without is. any input from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would have let Worm. I would have sold Worm down the river. <laughs> he called the cops. He got yeah. the. Yeah. And I will say the $600. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing for me as well is that that is what I was talking about at the, uh, at the beginning. Yeah. Is this one action from Worm, everybody's fucked. Yeah. yeah. And it's huge. Mm-hmm. But Darcy echoes that sentiment that they're all in the stew for a selfish and impulsive act under his roof. They move to the back of the van, the camera following them from the inside, as Darcy asks Gabe if he sees a way out of this. Gabe doesn't, but almost on cue, Clark locates the Ain't Right's siphoning kit, which pleases Darcy. Music blares from the venue as Darcy tells his men, no guns. He asks if Clark has a no trespassing sign posted at the residence, and Clark responds that they have a beware of dogs sign instead, but Darcy says that this is even better. The speed with which he thought of this cover up mm-hmm. is horrifying. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it's very thorough and Yeah. Yeah. But back inside the green room, Tiger asks his bandmates if anyone even knows that they're in here. Sam remembers that Tad does, but Pat steps forward, telling them that he thinks that they need to go for it. And Reese, always ready for a fight, agrees. They approach Justin, who stands up immediately, cocking the gun and pointing it at them, but before he can properly threaten them, Gabe knocks on the door, asking if everyone is okay inside. Justin gives quasi-assurances, still pointing the gun at the group. Pat asks where the cops are, and after hearing a threat of violence from Justin, Gabe shocks everyone when he orders Justin to give the band the gun. Gabe says it's over, and he repeats his order for Justin to take the bullets out of the gun and hand it over to the band now. He plainly tells Justin, do not shoot them. I think that would give me a little hope. Yeah. Not like uh, a lot, but like, okay, as long as we have the gun and you have the bullets, there's still more of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if something does go left, we should just fucking attack you. And I feel like what's so strange to me is that, again, Gabe feels reassuring. Yeah. Even though he's clearly being like, don't shoot them. We need their bodies a certain yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do not yeah. shoot them. Well, he left that part he out. Did. Yeah. It doesn't fit with the... Co- I mean, just I mean, don't uh, shoot yeah. them. <laughs> don't do it. But Justin, with his gun still pointed at the band, asks if Darcy is here. Darcy's voice then comes booming through the door, confirming his arrival, and Justin immediately lowers the gun. Darcy calmly introduces himself as the owner, apologizing to the Ain't Rights for the current circumstances, and admits that he's playing catch-up himself. Amber then realizes that the music coming from the venue that's playing over the PA is Cowcatcher. After everything, they're still playing their fucking set. <laughs> they're like, listen, the show must go on. Yeah. <laughs> we came to, I don't know, kill people and, yeah. <laughs> and play punk. And, and we're, we're all out of killing, killing people. <laughs> Another Carpenter reference. <laughs> <laughs> but after removing the cartridges from the gun, Justin hands it over to Sam 
and Reese slowly makes his way around to Justin's side. Pat thanks Darcy for his apology, but he tells him that they'll only open the door for the police and says that it's either that or they keep the bullets or cartridges rather after that lesson. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we were listening. Yeah. Darcy says that he has no problem with this and having handed over the gun, Justin goes to open the door, but Reese now stands in front of it. Tiger tells Reese to open the door, but Sam puts it together, telling Pat to do the math. She shouts to Darcy, asking where the police are, and Darcy tells her that it takes a while for them to get out here, and he wants to make sure that no one else gets hurt in the meantime. This is so... It, it It's very... You're on the fence of this is believable, they're fucking lying. This is believable, yes. they're fucking lying. Like, it goes so... Back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting him to be like, I'm not opening the door until the cops come. And he's like, no, that's understandable. <clears throat> Hello, this is the police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same voice. <laughs> you sound like <laughs> Professor X. I, um, this, this is so scary. Yeah. yeah. And I will say that something that we talk about a lot is that even though he's playing a fucking evil piece of shit, yeah. it's still Patrick Stewart. Yeah. It is. And so there's this level of legitimacy and believability and trust that is just implicit with this actor. Yeah. And so I, I'm like, okay, well, in, I watched the police come and go. Yeah. yeah but you I'm like, know. maybe they are. <laughs> they are on their way. No, they're not coming. <laughs> Plus the fact that they're playing their set yeah. I think that that would tell me everything that I needed yeah. to know. Um, the cops aren't coming. No. no. Especially if you're like, okay, there was a stab. I'm reporting the stabbing that you were trying to report. And we all know that he did it, but you're still letting him go. Like, the, uh, it is screaming that something's wrong. Yeah. Unless it's like, you know, everybody loves Worm. We'll give him one, one more, more shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before he goes away for murder one. <laughs> But Sam shakes her head as something is clearly wrong. Justin tries to reason with Reese to open the door, but out of nowhere, Tiger screams wildly and charges toward Justin, biting his shoulder. He's promptly grabbed by the throat and punched into submission, but with his back turned dealing with Tiger, Reese climbs Big Justin, putting him in a rear naked choke. As he flails, Justin kicks a vent on the door with his red-laced boot, creating a small window through the grates. Reese shouts for help, and Amber snaps into action, kicking Justin in the knees to help bring him down. A confused Darcy asks what's happening inside the room as Reese takes Justin to the ground and puts him in a very snug arm bar. He's that like, made me laugh out loud. Oh, yeah. Hello, the ugly. He's like, we were just talking yeah. <laughs> I I was momentarily annoyed when tiger rushed him yes but yeah. the way that they were able to work together to subdue him yeah. i was like okay like, I, there's nothing i can say that the whole time i was just screaming like chucky it was kill him yeah <laughs> strangle him i was like god damn dude now, th that's your chance good shit yeah it was like there you go be done and this is starting to go into them making a wise decision. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, all right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, what's happening, yeah. please? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I, I can't see anything. <laughs> You're going to have to help me. <laughs> it sounds bad. No. <laughs> right. Please don't break any of the furniture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to assume, but. But it doesn't sound great. But Amber mockingly tells Justin that he shouldn't have locked the door and the group doubles down on this by pushing the couch in front of it. Reese, still clutching Justin, shouts for them to steal the bullets, and Pat finds them, handing them off to Sam, who loads the gun at Reese's insistence. 
Darcy asks how it's going in there. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And Pat, he, Pat has a very calm voice. Yeah. Even though he's wrestling with Justin. Yeah. He's like, everything's fine. And he says that he'd rather just wait for the police. Darcy calls out to Justin and Pat approaches the door, telling him that Justin is fine, but he's going to wait too. As Cowcatcher growls in the background, we find Darcy and Gabe in the dark hallway outside of the green room. Darcy tells Pat through the door that he understands, but he then turns to Gabe, who asks him if he thinks that the band knows what's going on. Darcy tells Gabe exactly what he thinks. He puts, <laughs> face palms him, and he says, I think they're smarter than you, and pushes yeah. his head into the wall. Yeah. I laughed out loud because Clark goes, Darcy? Yeah. <laughs> I, there was so much here, though, yeah. because he has been very calm. Some, he arrived on the scene knowing somebody was murdered yeah. by somebody who is apparently very esteemed or loved or right, whatnot. Right. Everybody loves Worm. Right, Big Every, Worm. Everybody yeah. loves Worm. <laughs> and the cops are here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he has been very even, very composed, even speaking with um, the Ain't Rights, even speaking with them. He's yeah. been completely fine. Mm -hmm. So him letting this mask slip in this moment tells me that you are prone to rage. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that it's just concealed. And you're fucking worried. Yes. Yeah. Because this is not going the way that you very cool and calm and calculated expected it to go. I think that he expected them to already have opened the door and they would have been taken care of the way that he wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. And that's not happening. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like that because he's like Darcy. <laughs> yeah. This is not <laughs> no. a way that we expect you to behave. No. So, I mean, that is very telling. I'm I'm glad you said that because I didn't think about that until you said it. But that is him being worried. Him yeah. losing composure. Mm -hmm. And he, fa he face bombed him. Yeah. He did. There's not, I don't think there's anything more degrading i think i'd rather be slapped <laughs> yeah that or when somebody's telling you to chug it it's like here chug that shit <laughs> face yeah, face don't don't do that no don't do that sonia said on commentary he goes if you have the opportunity to write a scene where your best friend from high school <laughs> face bomb by sir patrick stewart you do it fair enough <laughs> but darcy apologizes for the outburst but he tells his men that they'll do it here and stage it up the road but back in the green room Pat helps Tiger to his feet as Sam rests on the floor. Reese, with Justin's arm still tight in a hold, says that in a tournament, he'd snap Justin's arm or he'd tap out and they'd all go get burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Amber urges him to snap Justin's arm, but Pat tries to calm the situation down, considering that they have the gun. So? Yeah. Break his arm anyway. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, it's they just call insurance. Him, they yeah. do, because he's called big justin for a reason well he he's gigantic he, yeah, yeah he could take out any one of us yeah dude why aren't we kicking him in the face or <laughs> <laughs> tie him up anything i mean just to knock him out and then we'll break we'll we'll break each of his limbs <laughs> one by one reese is ready for it a revolutionary yeah. idea yeah why aren't we kicking this dude in the face I'm like, dude i just realized <laughs> We all have feet, right? <laughs> and, you know, he, he has a face. <laughs> but again, you're right, though. After all the events and everything that keeps happening, the shit he's saying, yeah. them at the door trying to tell, are telling us the cops are not coming or whatever. No, no, no. We are in fucking very, very yes. huge amounts of danger. Yes. yes. Let's neutralize that danger. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Naturally. Naturally. But <laughs> Peter, our face is natural. <laughs> but Sam, realizing that she has the gun, suddenly has a change of heart, saying that she doesn't feel good with it. She tries to pass it off, but there are no takers except Amber, who Sam does not know enough to trust. She tried it. Yes. Yeah. But again, for all I know, you're the fucking rat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously. I mean, Reservoir Dogs speak for, you could be one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, I mean, it is odd that everybody else got to leave except for you. Yeah. Did Are you a leave behind? Are you a plant? I don't, I don't fucking trust you. I'm sorry. I know that they're your friends. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you guys. And maybe you're so sad because you can't believe you stabbed Emily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know any of you. But I wouldn't want the gun either. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know who I would be in this situation. I think I could hold the arm bar on Justin or I could be Pat freaking out. <laughs> I'm Pat. Those are my two speeds. <laughs> Tag yourself. I'm Pat freaking out. <laughs> Tag yourself. <laughs> I want to be a Reese, but, but I think I'm a Pat. <laughs> but Reese tells Sam to just keep the gun for now and that he'll take it when he's back on his feet. He then focuses all of his attention on Justin, wrenching his arm and asking him, when I let go, what are you going to do? Without thinking, Justin responds that he'll BF everyone in the room. I was like, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> Again? Like, yeah. Beat to Kick the face. him in the face. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Reese just pulls his arm tighter, telling him the correct answer. Justin is going to sit crisscross applesauce, and he forces Justin to repeat it. But before he finishes the sentence, Reese releases the hold, kicking Justin away and reaching his feet, snatching the gun from a very impressed Sam. He points it at Justin, who holds his arm and leans angrily against the chair. Pat asks if there's another way out of here, and Amber tells him there's not. Back in the office, Darcy cryptically asks Clark, Have you fed them today? Clark says that it doesn't matter because they're professionals. And Darcy tells Clark that he might lose a couple by the morning, maybe a bunch. But this doesn't bother Clark at all, who reminds Darcy that they're pros. Darcy opens the door for Clark, promising him that he'll be compensated. Gabe, meanwhile, sits scribbling names on a small piece of paper. But when Darcy asks in annoyance how many names are on his list, Gabe rises to his feet and follows the men out of the office. Clark tells Darcy how much he'll need to be compensated, telling him that it's $1,200 for a prospect, $2,000 for a bait dog, and he says that he's not using any studs or champs unless Darcy wants to pay him $20,000 a head. Darcy says that this operation might cost Clark his livelihood, but as long as it doesn't cost him his, Clark is covered. Wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I've told this story before, but as somebody who was bit in the face by a dog, uh... I'm horrified yes. that we're bringing trained mm-hmm. attack dogs into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Beautiful dogs, though. I'm they're, scared. They're dogs. <laughs> I, I, I like dogs. Uh, I always had a dog growing up. I had a couple pits. I loved them. But again, they are when in when in the wrong hands and trained for shit like this. For like, there's no reason to to do that with animals no they're they're animals they deserve to be loved and they just want to be in a good home and i know don't don't teach them to do this shit i know logically that no dog is inherently bad yeah that it's a product of how they were trained or raised or what have you but 
I see a pit bull and my scar does start to burn like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. Uh, no. And I'm honestly, frankly, concerned about th- these dogs' ideology, really. <laughs> <laughs> How long have they been hanging out with these guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, we see Lady Bird. We learn That's from true. Lady Bird. That's, That's true. <laughs> more, That's true. More King of the Hill. <laughs> And I will say that I think this is probably because uh, there's so many references to Carpenter. Yeah. What a sly reference to the thing by having the dog trainer be named Clark. Oh, oh that's okay, brilliant. Yeah. That's great. But as they head back inside the venue, Darcy reminds them that there will be cops, so they'll need to clean out the residence. But he suggests leaving a roach in the ashtray. <laughs> He's like, we don't want to be too clean. Not too yeah. clean. <laughs> it needs to be believable. Yeah. As they enter the hall, he orders them to put Daniel on the door and pull the van around. But he realizes that the keys to the van are in the green room with the band. He excuses Clark to tend to everything on the agenda, but upon noticing the band's gear stacked in the hall, he tells Gabe, this is a fire hazard. <laughs> they were Yeah. And he's right, it is a fire hazard. It is. He's running a business. <laughs> But they head out to the bar, past Cowcatcher still loudly playing their set to a packed crowd. Gabe confides that he wouldn't put Daniel on the door, which Darcy accepts without question. But he asks the bartender, played by Jacob Cash, where Daniel even is. The bartender, pouring a shot, says that Daniel stepped out and he's covering for him. He asks if everything is okay, but Darcy and Gabe leave without answering or drinking their shots. They head back to the Ain't Right's van, but when they're unable to find keys in the usual hiding places, they head to the utility shed. Daniel sits behind the wheel of his car in the parking lot, nervously tapping his thumb on the steering wheel as the engine rumbles loudly. This is so sad when you realize. Yes. Yeah. Incredibly. But Darcy and Gabe approach him, Darcy admiring Daniel's new car. Daniel quickly explains that he's just turning it over, which is, it was such a rushed excuse. Yeah. I was yeah. surprised that they didn't, they're like, what are you doing? They're, they're preoccupied. <laughs> that <man>. is true. <laughs> they got a lot going on. But he asks Darcy what's going on, and Darcy gets right down to business. He says he needs some of the squad, red laces only, and he needs them now. So this is when I looked up and I read an article about the, like, lace code Mm -hmm. culture Mm -hmm. and i learned that it also came about in london in the 70s and the different do you remember those jelly bracelets that we used to wear where it was like if you're wearing a purple one then you just suck dick or whatever jesus Uh, that's what they said (laughs) please somebody back me up (laughs) a little decorum please that's what no but the yellow means you you do this and the red means you do this whatever it wasn't true but it was like remember the news reports that are like people are soaking tampons and alcohol and shoving them up their ass and it's like nobody's doing that it was one of those things oh okay i think Uh, a lot of times it's a slow news day and they're just trying to yeah fit something in there because i wore mad amounts of jelly bracelets and that's i just liked them yeah but um anyway it's like that where it's like this color but like true (laughs) 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 cut that (laughs) what a roundabout way to (laughs) to all of us it's just what it made me think it's not like the margarita song right No. No. (laughs) (laughs) no um anyway but that's when i had learned about sharp Mm. because they were uh, signified by yellow laces. It was the skinheads against racial prejudice. And then blue was to signify that you've killed a cop. Wow. Purple stood for gay pride, which is when I was like, what? Those, the yellow and the purple, I was like, I did not know 
that there was any love and peace and celebration in your culture at all. Um, I did not know that. No, uh, any level of positivity. Yeah. No. Um, but black signified neutrality. White is for white supremacy, but red is also for white supremacy, but it's supposed to signify that you have spilled non-white blood. Jesus. So wow. when if this is what he's calling for, it's very obvious that nothing good is right. going to come from any of the characters Mm-mm. wearing red laces, which we did see. Was it Justin, right? Yeah, yeah. Justin, he is. So already, for me, for the rest of the film, my eyes were out for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are quite a few. Break his arm. Yes. Break his yeah. arm. Break everyone. Kick his face. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, take turns kicking his face. Yeah. <laughs> but Darcy takes the list that Gabe wrote, and it's the list of everyone who knows what's happened tonight, including the band. Daniel, stepping out of his car, is still out of the loop, but Darcy, looking over the list, says that it's manageable. He tells the men that from here on out, not one single name gets added to the list unless they have red laces. Gabe reminds Darcy that there are 80 people inside the venue right now, but Darcy just turns to Daniel, telling him to gather four of his men and to give Gabe the keys to his car in case they need to play valet. Back in the green room, Reese keeps the gun and his watchful eye on Justin as Tiger attempts to find a way out through the ceiling. A bit of dust falls onto Sam, who freaks out, saying that it could be asbestos. That's what you're worried about? I was going to say, I love that you're optimistic enough to worry about that. (laughs) Tiger assures her that it isn't, and Pat asks Amber if she has a phone, but she tells him that they took it, and Emily's too. Pat asks for permission to search Emily, and the camera glides over the coffee table as he does so, unfocused in the background, finding cigarettes, a lighter, and Daniel's note that he gave her earlier written on a napkin. Pat unfolds it and finds the word Fleischwolf written in blue ink. Sam tells him that Fleisch means flesh or meat, like a Fleisch salad. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, hey, whatever you need. Yeah. yeah. She says that it's German. Pat is confused, wondering what meat wolf could possibly mean. Tiger comes up empty on an exit strategy, telling the group that the ceiling is solid and Pat doesn't find anything else on Emily. He stands next to Reese and tells him to empty his pockets. After Justin antagonizes Pat with a slur, Amber suggests that they just shoot him. I mean... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although, if they come back to the door, somebody better do a real good Justin impression. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure they can come up with something. (laughs) But the group allows Justin to sit in the chair now, and he empties his pockets of a chain wallet, some change, his keys, and some bottle caps. Pat isn't satisfied, telling Justin to turn his pockets inside out. He turns one, but not the other. Pat orders him to turn the other one, and Justin reluctantly throws a box cutter to the floor. Sam is relieved that it isn't in Justin's possession anymore, but Justin continues digging, pulling out his cell phone, promptly breaking it in half with a sarcastic, oops. <laughs> now we can't go to the face. Yeah. <laughs> oops. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last nail in your coffin, yeah. buddy. It all happened so fast, and the group can barely even react, with Tiger asking in disbelief, was that a phone? So disappointing. Yes. Yeah. But just as the question leaves his lips, all the lights in the room go out. 
In frantic darkness, Pat urges Reese to point the gun at the door. <laughs> like, where's? <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, you got it, boss. You're pointing it right at Reese. <laughs> it's like, dude, Jesus Christ! All right, he is Reese. He is all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a door. But I, I still think we should keep it on Justin. Yes. yes. And listen for any scurrying yeah. or movement. <laughs> but Sam, optimistic, says, "Maybe it's a raid. Maybe the police are here." Amber can't believe her ears. But the group grows louder trying to come up with a plan when suddenly a small flame flickers in the darkness from Amber's lighter, illuminating her face in a dull orange glow. She tells the group, careful now, and lights a cigarette in her mouth. After taking a puff herself, she slowly creeps over to Justin, telling him to smoke it. As Justin accepts this deal, the small light of the cigarette in his mouth, Amber tells Reese, if the cherry does something you don't like... Shoot. Clever girl. <laughs> That's Just, pretty smart. Yeah. Justin's like, don't mind if I do. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I completely agree. Yeah. That is brilliant because when she lit a cigarette, I was like, this is the heel turn. She's Darcy. Yeah. Like I was like, <laughs> I don't know. She's, Darcy. she's one of them. I was like, this is this is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I was very impressed. Yeah, and I will say that moment is very cool. Yeah. 24 or 25 year old me was like why can't i have written that (laughs) (laughs) but reese thanks amber and she tells everyone to get comfortable but sam comments that the plan was pretty smart for a nazi but amber tells him that she isn't a nazi and attempts to explain how she fell in with this group but we see the camera glide through the darkness over to a tear in the floor's carpeting where light bleeds in from below Tiger notices this and interrupts everyone to get their attention just as the lights come back on. Back in the venue proper, Darcy takes to the stage, announcing to the crowd that it appears they tripped their main. He says they have a backup generator going now, but he's afraid that they'll have to call it for the night. He promises another show on Sunday with no door charge for tonight's inconvenience and free drinks from two to four. I was like, he really wants them. Yeah. <laughs> what what a good way to do it. I mean, yeah. oh, it, power shut down. We got to go. Everybody's yeah. partying too hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys are enjoying the show too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with the crowd firmly on his side, they all leave happily. We cut to the glow of a ringing phone inside of a bag in the office and find the cause of this glow. Daniel attempting to call Emily from outside the venue as the crowd pours out of the exit. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I, was like, I didn't know if you were gonna say it or I should. Or. I was also really confused because Darcy said something about a racial advocacy workshop. Yeah, it's coming yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. I hate it. You know what he's doing. <sighs> but still on stage, Darcy does tell anyone in the crowd attending their racial advocacy workshop on Wednesday it's still on unless they hear otherwise, and he reminds them. This is a movement, not a party. He tells them all to stay safe as the remainder of the crowd leaves the pit. Boo! Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Darcy. <laughs> I throw a drink at that guy. Yeah. Please. But outside, Daniel approaches a group of skinheads, passing a joint around. He asks which of them haven't smoked yet, and three of them raise their hands. They're Jonathan, played by Samuel Summer, Kyle, played by Mason Knight, and Alan, played by Colton Rushinsky. Daniel asks them to come with him, and we get a shot of their red laces as they follow. All the vehicles exit the parking lot, and we see Worm, 
who downs a bottle of liquor and tosses it before getting behind the wheel of his car. Man, this guy just keeps... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, is there anything redeeming? <laughs> well, at least he doesn't... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God damn, And I'm dude. just replaying Darcy's like, everyone loves worms. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really? This is who you've hitched your wagon to? <laughs> but Darcy procures two small bags of drugs to give to the men, ordering Gabe to tell Cowcatcher that the party's on them if the band holds up for a couple of days. Gabe notices that the drugs are stamped with the words Grove Street, which Darcy explains with a racial epithet will point elsewhere if the band gets booked for possession. Not Grove Street. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> Is that a reference? I think it's intentional. Yeah. That's great. I mean, not what Darcy's saying. No. no. <laughs> Again, fuck Darcy. But yeah, yeah, but Grove Street. That's great. We all love Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Uh, San Andreas. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as they approach Cowcatcher's vehicle, Darcy calls out to them jovially, promising to get them somewhere safe as Gabe hands warm the dope. I will say, while all this is going on, and then like they're getting ready, and they're getting the the kill squad assembled, and they're moving the cards, it's like, dude, they are moving quick. This is bad. Shit is getting bad super fast. And it's frightening how the organization... Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say, how organized they are. Because it's like, okay, this is a situation. We need this, this, and this. You have these dogs. We, we'll get them out of here. We'll do, I mean, it, it's too clean the yeah. way that they're it, it's horrifying everybody's listening yes, yes. Just, oh yes sir yeah just, oh i gotta do this oh re- all right oh no questions no anything just instructions got it follow i hate it terrifying but as you said the ain't rights van is also moved a few of the men pushing it through the dim evening but back in the green room tiger marks an x on the floor where he saw the light pouring through during the power outage and upon hearing commotion outside reese notes that they're moving their gear out of the hallway Darcy suddenly knocks on the door, calling out to the band and telling them that they're loading them out. Sam asks if the cops are here, but Darcy reveals that they've come and gone, and it got a little complicated. No. No? No, no. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk to them? Yes. Because I, I want to know what's so complicated. Can they come exactly. back? Because yeah. it seems very simple to me. Yeah. <laughs> but Sam deflates. And Darcy, tired of shouting, lowers his voice to a more manageable volume and asks if they'll elect one voice to speak for them. Pat steps forward, approaching the door, and Darcy tells him the situation. The band is trapped. This is a fact, not a threat. Pat counters that they have a loaded gun, which is also a fact. Darcy assures them that they have plenty more guns on hand, but he says that they just want the band out of here, not harmed. He tells them that the firearm they have isn't registered, and he wanted it out of the picture before the police arrived, but they refused, so here they are. Reese scoffs, calling bullshit, and Darcy then apologizes for his associates, saying that they panicked. Pat responds emotionally and sarcastically in agreement, but Darcy calms him down, promising that no one is trying to wipe the slate clean and that whatever the band saw or did not see is not his concern. And they can tell whoever they want. All he asks is that they understand that they were held here for their own safety before they were released. That's where you went too far. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell whoever, uh uh-uh, now I know you're fucking lying. You would never. Now I Mm -mm. know you're lying. Yeah. And it's such a, it's a really... A believable cover story we wanted the gun because we shouldn't have it and the cops were coming it's like for a second it's like okay that kind of makes sense 
tell whoever whatever Mm-mm. yeah no 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 not, not you're I'm, being too like you're it's too accommodating i for what i've seen here i i i find it hard to believe that you're worried about an unregistered gun yeah i'm sure Fair. all your guns are either stolen or unregistered i would agree so let's calm down dude like <laughs> i like, got no, it was just that one yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. no just the one yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're very thorough we have yeah. a register <laughs> And the thing is, is again, he's saying so many words that sound good. Yeah. Your own safety mm-hmm. before you're released. You're like, yes. It's all, It's almost like he's gaslighting me. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's like we were trying to help you. Like we were just, you were held here safely. Shit's crazy out there. But like, it's just very like, were you really? I mean, yeah. you know, and in the moment of, of desperation because like sam keeps trying to cling to shit that is obviously not true Mm -hmm. you would almost believe him yeah like that's scary as fuck but pat looks back at his bandmates who share his worry but feel the tension lowering pat thanks darcy but for clarity asks if the police are coming back darcy repeats They've come and gone. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I already said that. Pat goes, that's what concerns us, man. Yeah. 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 It's just so relatable. (laughs) That's what's so scary. (laughs) But Darcy reiterates that he just wants that unregistered gun out of the picture. Okay, well, when you let us go, we'll take it with us. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it, dude. Let us get pulled over down the street. Yeah. Call the cops on us and we leave. Yeah. And have them pull us over. That's fine. And then we'll tell them I'm, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't need this gun. <laughs> but Pat steps away from the door, accidentally walking through Reese's line of fire to consult his bandmates on a strategy. Tiger suggests they dig through the floor, but Sam isn't into this idea, saying that they could just shoot them at any time. Pat says that they haven't, though, and that they don't even know that they have guns. But Amber assures them that they have guns. No question. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Thanks. Sam still doesn't trust Amber, but when Reese remarks that they have zero leverage, Amber suggests that they ask to trade a phone for the gun. Tiger asks, what about Big Justin, who still sits there quietly in the chair with the gun on him? I'm like, I forgot he was here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so well-mannered. Yeah. Sorry for kicking you in the face. Man. <laughs> but Reese just says that he'll wrap him up again. And after confirming the new plan with his group, Pat reapproaches the door, proposing the deal. The gun for a cell phone. Darcy promptly rejects the deal with an apology. And when Pat asks for a registered firearm instead, Darcy calls this request funny, and then he checks on Justin asking if he's alive and well. After Justin confirms that he is alive, (laughs) Darcy returns to the band, telling them that he hopes that they appreciate the situation. Things have gone south, but they have to know that if they don't hand over the gun, it won't end well for them. Okay, but your friend is in here too. Uh, Yeah. See, and that's the, they said that they have no leverage. That's your leverage. Yeah. Yeah. Is Big Justin. And we know he's one of your favorites because you gave him the fancy laces or whatever the fuck he's wearing. Yeah. So. And he got, he got the unregistered gun. Yeah. Yeah. So we have Big Justin and we will use a big cartridge on Big Justin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you don't make with the fucking fucking off or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Make with the the police, make with the, you know, whatever. Although I will be completely honest, 
I would not trust any cop that walked into this establishment. Yeah. I would think I, that they were on the I, payroll. I would I would just let us go, man. I don't I don't want to talk to the police. I don't nothing. Like yeah. just please. <laughs> please. <laughs> Just let us go. <laughs> it's just that simple, man. <laughs> but Darcy proposes a scenario. For all he knows, he's come to his place of business and some out-of-town band is locked in a room with an unregistered gun inside and someone's hurt. Maybe they have a hostage. Pat can't believe what he's hearing, but Darcy continues asking what is he to do? Is he within his rights to intervene? Should he kick down the door and start shooting? Or can they just remove the guns from the situation? As Pat's eyes fill with tears, Darcy gives them 30 seconds to answer. Well, don't do that. No. No. That's not enough time for anything. We're not playing Jeopardy. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a jigsaw trap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it is. Turn the recliner to where Big Justin is facing the door. I'm going to stand behind him with the gun to his head. Please come inside. Fair enough. Go ahead. Call the cops and tell them that we broke in. Tell yeah. them we have this unregistered gun. Again, go call the cops. Yeah. See, go, if, go if d- we're ever trapped in a green room by Nazis, I want you to be there with me. Oh, no. Because yeah. <laughs> so I'll be yeah. like, please just <laughs> let me leave. <laughs> like, he sounds nice. I don't yeah. know. I think I believe him. He sounds like John Luke Picard. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's something, something really trustworthy about his life. I don't know why, though, but I just do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to trust yeah. It's like, Nate, <laughs> stop unlocking the door. <laughs> but pat turns to his friends wondering if anyone has any smart ideas without hesitation reese forces justin to the floor he assumes the position lying supine on the floor as reese hands sam the gun and wrenches justin's arm in that familiar hold sam begs justin not to do anything so she doesn't have to shoot him that was very sad Yeah. yeah tiger hates this entire plan though and Pat just tells him that they have no choice. Either they give up the gun or they open fire with it. Amber votes for the second option, but Sam tells her that she doesn't have a vote. Yeah. She's I like, still? Yeah. <laughs> Sam is the only one that's like, shut up. You. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I did the cold cherry thing. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> that was so cool. That won everybody else over. <laughs> but Amber scoffs as Tiger says that they're all dead. Pat admits that at this point, they're just buying time. And Amber continues the sentence. For them. Pat steps forward, calling out to Darcy and telling him that they'll give up the gun, but they're going to keep the ammunition. That is not the leverage you think it is. Yeah. You think that he already said we have lots of guns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. This yeah, we was... got plenty of bullets, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or cartridges. cartridges. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. They all took big justice. <laughs> <laughs> But Darcy accepts this, agreeing that it's safer for everyone this way. As Pat and Amber move the couch out of the way, Sam removes the cartridges from the gun. She hands the empty gun to Pat, and Amber crouches down to the busted vent at the bottom of the door as Pat steals himself. Reese clutches Justin's arm as Pat reapproaches the door, telling Darcy to stand back. Amber watches as Darcy takes two slow steps backward, and with a tear rolling down his cheek, Pat goes to unlock the door. Low atmospheric music rises in the background as Pat unlocks the door and creaks it open in a tight shot. Darcy appears in the crack of the door, asking if he can approach, but Pat tells him not to because he's going to throw the gun out. 
Darcy tells him to be careful with it because it was a gift. And Pat takes this to heart. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh this God. was so frustrating, dude. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm cringing. I'm stressed. Can we pick Sam to speak? Because <laughs> yeah. I just felt so bad because I'm like, Pat is so good that he's like, well, I don't want to damage this Nazi's gun. <laughs> like, really? Oh Fucking God. throw it. Yeah. Who knows who oh, gave yeah. it to him? <laughs> you know? Throw it. But he reaches the gun out and pulling the door open a little more. The view through the vent widens, and Amber notices Darcy is not alone. Several pairs of boots with red laces surround Darcy on the opposite side. Amber chokes out a warning to Pat. They're killing us, but it's too late, and the red-laced boots rush for Pat's arm. Sam screams for him to keep the gun, but as he pulls his hand inside, it is seized and pulled back out. Sam and Amber try to pull Pat back inside, and Tiger jabs a long piece of metal out of the door to defend Pat from the attack. Pat tries to pull himself away, and even submits, just fearfully repeating, Okay, okay, okay! But suddenly, his pleas turn into anguished screams of vibrant pain, and in the frenzy, Reese takes it upon himself to break Justin's arm at the elbow. After he does, he rushes to his feet and is able to help the group close the door and pull Pat back inside. Pat crashes to the floor sobbing, and in frantic shots, we see his ruined arm, torn to ribbons of wide-open wounds by sharp blades, his hand barely hanging on at the wrist. Amber stands frozen in horror as Tiger tries to wrap what's left of Pat's arm with a towel and apply pressure to it. Sam and Reese move the couch in front of the door, and over the sound of Pat's continued screams, Darcy knocks on the other side of the door, telling them, This will be over soon, gentlemen, before walking away. Listen. The moment between Amber seeing those laces yes. and them getting that door shut again. Mm-hmm. I'm sweating. <laughs> yeah. I'm cringing. The chaos is unbearable. It's just one thing after when he breaks Justin's arm, uh-huh. I winced. When you see Pat's oh, arm, yeah, God. the fact that these, the way that they fucking went to town on his arm is so fucking scary mm-hmm. and just all semblance of, no, we're just trying to help you. We kept, it's oh, fucking gone. It's done. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. He just wanted you to open that door. Mm-hmm. It is terrifying yeah it's so scary and chaotic all of that being said why the fuck did you open that door <laughs> that that was gonna be my uh, comment but <laughs> i'm so stressed <laughs> why why did you trust this nazi especially their leader <laughs> i don't know um you again we've been through all this we've seen his underlings have all told us they don't give a fuck mm-hmm. they've all shown that they don't care and told us we were gonna die yeah at some uh, some kind of point or another in some way um even the girl that that they left here is mm-hmm. like oh no they got guns and they're gonna kill you guys it's like all right i understand and i and i get the whole let's get the guns out of the equation and all that uh, there's no way even if he's like it's a family heirloom fuck you yeah i'm just barely cracking the door pushing it out and closing and that's it. it yeah there we i don't need to hear you go come and take it is there a pillow to lay it on <laughs> what the fuck are you yeah doing? then you better be ready to catch yeah. <laughs> it, it it stressed me out so bad and her seeing those laces and knowing exactly what the fuck was yeah gonna happen. yeah 
Ah, I, it gave me chills. Yeah. I, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning where I was like, I've never seen anything like this. No. No. His arm, I, I, it felt like that thing from Arrested Development where he's like, oh my God, this guy's <laughs> arm. <laughs> that's all, that's God. all I could think. I was just so like, I've never, and his anguished cries. Yeah. That performance, the prosthetic work is amazing enough on oh. its own, mm-hmm. but his crying and his screaming, yeah. the frantic atmosphere it's 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 one of the craziest scenes i've ever seen in a film yeah i didn't know that that's what they were doing no no i I, see i didn't remember it was that bad and i was like they fucked you up when you when you see the way that his hand is hanging on yeah i was like oh my god like i look we've watched a lot of films with a lot of gore yeah yeah. This is something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. I, think. I, I feel like the visceral reaction as far as films that we've covered on the show. I don't think I felt that since we covered Gerald's game. Fair. I don't think I felt the physical like, oh, my God. Where? Like, it is. It's like my I have a physical like, ah! right. <laughs> like I don't know if I can watch this. Well, <laughs> this is horrifying. Well, I think the difference is in a lot of the gore we see in other movies. It's like we see that it's gore. Yeah. Or it's like, or like we it can is. tell. Yeah. That this is a little over the top or whatever. But his arm really looks like if you took a machete to somebody's yes. arm a few times. And it's like, oh, dude, that's not going to heal right. I think that's the thing. Well, no. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing for me is exactly that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the violence in the film is so gruesome, but it's so realistically gruesome. Yeah. That's why it's so scary. Yes. And I feel like we we can't shoot them because we have this cover but <laughs> this is okay uh, yeah yeah i don't, I don't apparently know. yeah you know i will say uh as we've said brilliant prosthetic work yeah yeah uh on the arm break and pat's arm attack yes because i i feel like that arm break it's so overshadowed yes mm-hmm. by how horrific Pat's arm looks, but I was like, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's so bad on its own. It was yeah. the opening act for Pat's arm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the group responsible for these effects is a group called Prosthetic Renaissance. All right. And listen to some of these credits. Black Swan. True Detective. Okay. The Irishman. Okay. Joker. All right. The Wrestler. Okay. The Batman. Okay. And this one is one that you and I, Nay, talked about a lot because we couldn't believe how haunting it was. These visuals, the staircase. Oh, I I could go on for 20 minutes. I'm just not going to. But <laughs> the shit that they did in the staircase, it felt too real. Yes. It was like I'm looking at something I sh- I'm not supposed to be seeing. And that's what that's, this felt like. Yes, it yeah. did. It, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I don't. Yeah, oh. I'll, I'll stop now because I could go on again for yeah, 20 yeah. minutes about it. It's horrific. It's to the point where I'm like, you guys have gone too far, I think. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but suffice to say, they do amazing work. Yes. All right. But the group turns to notice Justin rising to his feet, full of fury and threats. Amber rushes for him, but is taken down by a very weak clothesline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, really? But Reese snaps into action as Justin grabs the box cutter and is able to get behind him and subdue him to the ground in a choke. He screams for someone to get the box cutter out of Justin's hand, and a recovering Amber does exactly as she's told. Justin fights to stay conscious, and Reese desperately asks Sam to tell him when Justin is passed out. 
Amber peels Justin's weakened fingers from the box cutter as Tiger attempts to calm a still-screaming Pat. Justin's eyes close, and Sam alerts Reese that he's passed out, so he lets him go and catches his breath. Pat stops screaming, but Justin begins gasping for air, which forces Reese to reapply the hold. Sam asks how long it's supposed to take, but wasting no time, Amber pierces the box cutter into Justin's gut, dragging it up, peeling him open, unzipping him, basically. Uh-huh. Bravo. Yeah. About fucking time somebody did something right. I mean, it feels Holy like shit. leverage does not matter anymore. No, no, no. no. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, no. And the fact that you can really just pretend to pass out. Like, I could do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why, like, nobody does that. Yeah. yeah. Sam was like, Dad, it's in there again. <laughs> you don't see too much more of people getting their neck broken. No. Yeah. You know what I mean, no, I mean that's, that's, that's true. That's sure way to just tell. Well, and I mean, I think what Amber did was is a Well, no, odd. I know, but yeah. he could have just done that. It, that. And it looked so real. It did. Yeah, she peeled him like an orange. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the thing for me is the silence of it. Yeah. Like there's, I don't know, there's something about the si- the sound design of this scene where her just doing that. And it's so gruesome, mm-hmm. but it why does it not feel gratuitous? Because of what we've just seen. Yeah. It's almost like we're in shock along with everyone else. This play-by-play of horrors mm-hmm. that happened 30 seconds ago this is just like okay what else like yeah okay honestly yeah. not only that they're also fighting f- to stay alive true yeah so it's like i don't feel so bad no it's like Plus it's, it's, it's a yeah. Yeah. yeah and we're happy to see it happen. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone including amber is shocked at what she's done outside daniel loads the ain't rights gear into their van and darcy assembles gabe the bartender jonathan kyle and alan As Darcy puts Clark in charge from here, Daniel asks what happened in there. Gabe just gives him a knowing look, but Darcy lies, telling him that it was a bit of a maelstrom. A visiting band hurt one of theirs. Gabe tells him, though, Emily. Darcy says maybe Big Justin, too, but who gives a shit? (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) <laughs> like what? <laughs> My dumbass was like, "That's not true." Yeah. <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> but Daniel asks what they're doing and says that they should go in there now. Darcy calmly tells Daniel that they're not coming apart is what they're doing, and he says that they're saving all the questions until later. A truck beams its headlights onto the property and approaches the group, dogs barking loudly. Clark is driving the truck. It sounds like dogs are driving. I'm sorry. They are here, though, but Clark is the driver. They're very well trained. (laughs) But back in the green room, Sam tries to bust through the ceiling. Amber smashes the walls with a stool, and Tiger breaks a chair trying to get through the X he marked on the floor. Reese drags Justin's corpse to the corner of the room and covers Emily's body up in a blanket. Pat, leaning against the couch, laments that he lost the gun, but Reese tells him that he held on longer than he would have. You got to encourage your friend, man, because he's yeah. not doing so good. No. no. I think he's in shock. Yeah. yeah. If anyone's feeling woozy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would have dropped it immediately. Oh, no, yeah. 
<laughs> I would. I don't give a shit who gave you this gun. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I'm talking about cracking the door and sliding it through. Shit, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna put my hands out. But there. I mean, you. They're hacking at your arm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you yeah, wanted yeah. it more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but after what appears to be a futile search for an exit, Reese offers to leave the room to search for one. But before he can, Tiger finally busts through the floorboards. With the light shining through from underneath, Reese finishes the job with a mic stand, revealing an entire well-lit room underground. They ponder what it could be, and when Tiger, Reese, and Sam jump down, they switch on more lights to discover that it's an underground laboratory with chemicals, scales, fluorescent lighting, and drugs. I don't think the cops are coming. Yeah, I don't think yeah. <laughs> they've come and gone. Yeah, <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that was my Patrick Stewart. But they search for a door while they're down there, bursting through plastic dividers, but coming up empty. Amber goes to drop down too, but Pat stops her before she does, telling her, "Hey, I'm sorry about your friend." Wordlessly, Amber drops down. I learned in Filmmaker Magazine, mm-hmm. the production designer is a guy called Ryan Warren Smith. He actually worked on season three of True Detective. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think Sonia directed a couple episodes of season three of True Detective. Cool. Oh, nice. But they built the interiors of the venue on a soundstage. Oh, all right. And the issue was they only had a certain amount of time to film the exteriors, which was actually on location. Mm-hmm. I want to say they had like a week or less or around that time. Damn. Oh, right. And so they had to film so much of these, the scenes that we see of them outside, all that stuff. Uh-huh. And then they built the sets for the interiors based on the geography that Sonia wrote in his script. All right. Which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But the issue is after the sets were built, they started shooting chronologically, but they didn't build the underground set until later. And so they're filming all this stuff of people peering down into something. They don't even know what it's going to look like yet. Mm. Yeah. And then the editor is fucking brilliant because it's so seamless of them jumping down. Yeah. The stuff we'll see later. Mm -hmm. The chronology of we'll learn with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. Yeah. With wounds and blood and it never seeming like, oh, that's that's not how it looked a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Not at all. Because these are filmed like weeks apart. There are no fried egg wounds at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's strange, right? (laughs) Nobody's blonde. That's not supposed to be. (laughs) I still can't believe that shit. But underground, Reese finds a ladder and climbs up to find a door in the ceiling. But when he bangs on it, he can't open it. And we hear his faint punches from outside, a brick chimney surrounding the unopening door. Sam asks if it's locked, and Reese assumes that it's locked from the other side. But with no way out and the ducts too small to travel through, Reese helps Sam and Amber back into the green room. And before Tiger joins them, he snags a roll of duct tape. Was anybody else stressed with how loud they were being in this bunker? Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was stressing me out. Well, because like you don't want them to know that you guys have found, found this. It. Yeah. When they showed the shot from outside, I thought someone was going to hear yes. that. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. Because they're yeah. like, what? What's it? <laughs> Is there a way out? <laughs> it won't open. <laughs> Shut up. But once they're back up top, Amber tells Pat what they found heroin. She says that it's not about them or Emily at all. Tiger looks at Pat's arm, telling him to look away as he tapes it up. Now, I understand that this is all they've got, but I can't even imagine what this would feel like. 
my thing was, why did he just put the tape right on the flesh? You had it wrapped in something. You did. Why didn't you just put that? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I couldn't stop thinking about what this is going to be like when you have to take it off. Yeah. 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 I couldn't yeah. stop thinking about it because part of me was like, yes, please cover that up. <laughs> I can't look at it anymore. <laughs> but then, I mean, but then, no, we're just a tape arm now. That's just what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're never taking this off. A tape arm. Yeah. This is just life. It'll just grow back. I'll just be part tape. I don't give a shit. <laughs> But Amber spends a tender moment with her dearly departed friend, kissing her on the forehead, as Reese tells the group that he's done and that they can close the door behind him if they want to strategize. Sam says that they don't know what they're doing out there, but Reese says that they know that they mean them harm. The point is punctuated by a shot of Pat's carved up arm, his wounds glistening as Tiger tapes him up. Sam wonders why they haven't just mowed them down already if they have guns, and Pat says that they can't just go missing they need them found. Amber agrees with Reese, suggesting that they grab something to defend themselves and get ready to run. Amidst the infighting and disagreement, Pat says that they shouldn't take this so seriously and suggests that they treat this like paintball. Sam responds confused, but Pat explains. He does. He does. Some time ago, a guy called Rick Silva helped organize a paintball game for a bachelor party, but they were short a few players to book the field, so they paired them up with some ex-Marines. He says the first few rounds, the Marines tore them to shreds, and Pat admits that he just cowered behind some trees until he got shot. But he says that Rick... But he's interrupted before he can finish the story. I want to hear what Rick did. Yeah. On one hand, on the other hand, it's like, Pat, I think you're in shock. Yeah. <laughs> this is not paintball, my yeah. friend. No, and that is true. He's like, why are you taking it so serious? It's like, look at your arm. Yeah. <laughs> that... Look at your fucking arm. That's why we're taking it so serious. For me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, get to the point because yeah. you're bleeding out. And there's two <laughs> dead bodies in here. Yeah. I mean, it, it is pretty, it's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. But with his arm taped up, Reese apologizes for interrupting, but says that they have to go. Amber asks Pat if that was his pep talk, and he doesn't answer. But the group rises to their feet as Reese says that they might not all live, but maybe they won't all die. Amber snags the box cutter. Sam grabs a light tube. But Pat declines a long piece of metal, saying that he's just going to run. <laughs> Pat, please! <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, I'm good. It's like, what? Yeah. All right, we'll send help. Yeah. Hang out, dude. You stay here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, and this is something that comes up in a second. And I know I'm not going to harp on it too much because I know that inept, prote- I, I, I get the theme. Yes. Amber knows this place. Mm-hmm. Maybe she should tell us where the exits are, where to uh, run, right. where we can hide. Like, I feel like that's a good group meeting before we open this door yeah. Yeah. and run out. Yeah. The timing of it. What? Yeah. The, who the fuck knows <laughs> what is out right. there? Prove you're not with them still. Yeah. yeah. Help us get out. Seriously. Tell us where to go. I mean, I feel like her killing Justin. It's like, okay, maybe we can be friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I trust you yeah. now. Yeah. But you unzipped him kind of weird. Was that a prank? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that a prosthetic tummy? Yeah. I've never seen anyone with a tummy like that. <laughs> But in a moment of honesty with her bandmates, Sam announces, fuck it. And she names her real Desert Island band, Simon and Garfunkel. Tiger laughs and Reese shares his real answer, Prince. Yes! Hell yeah. 
Pat stumbles, still unable to answer. <laughs> and Tiger's like, I'm still choosing the misfits. But Pat. Yeah. They asked, I read an interview where they asked Anton Yelchin who it would be. And he was like, I'm really like Pat. I don't know. He was like, I pick one. And then I'm like, oh, but then I can never listen to this one again and blah, blah, blah. And then the interviewer was like, do people ask you that a lot? And he was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what he could do? Honestly, he could pick a band every interview. That's true. That's probably what you would do. Yeah. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Uh, But he said he didn't know and that he appreciated that one interviewer asked what his Desert Island movie would be. Mm. And he did pick a movie and it was Taxi Driver. Hey. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But Amber asks if they're going and Sam smashes the light tube to sharpen it. The group readies at the door as Amber shares her Desert Island bands that no one asked for. (laughs) Madonna and slayer it's like that's not even how you play amber yeah. <laughs> right. well, they all they did just kind of start naming yeah it's like, yeah but she wasn't there for that you weren't interviewed by tad <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know tad <laughs> but reese wrenches the door open and sam hurls the light tube against the wall it shatters in the empty hallway as the group steps out metal playing loudly over the pa they creep forward at this point learning all of the exits from amber yeah but the music suddenly stops as they make it towards the stage in the dark, Sam suggests they should split up. Thankfully, no one else agrees. This is when I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Split up why? Are and you how? Yeah. fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's like, Sam, I've been on your side this whole time. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but out of nowhere, Clark steps into the room, unleashing one of his attack dogs, which rushes straight for Tiger. It takes him to the ground swiftly and without hesitation, chews through Tiger's throat with ferocity and wet sounds of murder. I am in shock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that dog probably heard him meow earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're going to get this. Like, <laughs> oh, it's get this bitch. Yeah. Um, His name is Tiger. Yeah. I was floored. Yes. And it happened so fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's what makes it realistic. There is no last word. There is no monologue. There is yeah. no. No. Get closer. Like, no, he's just gone. He's just gone. And that's it. Ugh. Yeah. I, I did want to talk about this uh, dog murder scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I read an article in Yahoo and on set, they compared filming this scene to a jigsaw puzzle. Okay. Because at some points it is the actor and a trained dog, the stunt man and a trained dog and the actor and a photorealistic dog puppet. Okay. And it's seamless. Yeah. Never, never would have guessed nope, that. Nope, never. That is very brave that at moments it was really the actor and the dog. Yeah. yeah. I, I think they said they're the dogs are trained to act ferocious, but they said in the article that they're, they're just having fun. Yeah. I'm like, but he looks pretty pissed yeah. off. <laughs> he looks very angry. He's very intimidating. <laughs> Can you make a photorealistic puppet of me? And then let the dog and, and just go put, to town? And then a real dog. <laughs> put some steak in my neck and then just let, let it happen. Well, they're good dogs. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, they must be because yeah. damn. Yeah. But I mean, in the, the stuff like this, they had obviously uh, talked about inspirations. Right. And no surprise, Dick Smith, who did Taxi Driver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rick Baker. Mm-hmm. All right. And Rob Bottin. Yeah. And you see it. Yeah. The practical effects in this film are so remarkable. Yes. Yeah. But Reese rushes off alone through the kitchen. And after he's unable to kick a door open, he finds a window and dives through it. 
But before he even hits the ground, he says, oh, shit, because Alan rushes towards him, hacking him bloody with a blade. Gabe pulls Alan away, telling him to save it, but Alan is clearly enthralled by the violence. Reese, no. Yeah. That death, and the thing is, is that the way that the the window is, yeah. he had no way of seeing anything. No. No. It's but so you, sad. You should have known better than that, man. <laughs> they're not going to wait by the windows? No. Yeah. They, you know they're there. It's like, at least peek something. Yeah. There was no way that this was not going to end with Reese surviving for me. Yeah. Yeah. He was the bravest. Yeah. He was the best of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I couldn't believe it. My jaw literally dropped. And again, so fast. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, I it's think horrifying. What's so wild to me is the back to back. Yeah. And that, that's kind of, for me, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, right away. That's it. I yeah. do wonder if it is any kind of statement on like sticking together. Maybe. Because the two that strayed were taken off fucking, I mean, taken out immediately. Mm-hmm. And I got to admit, I'm kind of surprised by Reese. <laughs> yeah. He's like, whoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See ya. See ya. <laughs> Just dives through. <laughs> that is shocking. I'll weird. come back and, for yeah, you. In my mind, he was going to fight the Nazis outside okay. and he was going to come back. Hmm. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> he just jumped in their arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But inside, the dog continues feasting on Tiger's throat, and Clark steps closer through the shadows. Sam, however, continues down the hall back toward the green room, snagging a fire extinguisher from the wall. She finds a door in the hall, but readies the hose before opening it. As soon as she does, a long blade peeks through, and she screams, releasing white smoke and coating Kyle, who slams the door shut as he wipes his face of chemicals. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. I was actually like... I don't know, just the fact, I, just seeing that blade, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Sam, get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I, I feel like these sequences, everything is happening so fast every single time. Yes. Yeah. But outside, as Reese gurgles wounded and clinging to life, Gabe goes through his pockets, finding his wallet, but nothing much else. Back inside, Clark tears the dog away from Tiger's opened throat, sicking him on Amber when she ascends the stage. As the dog gnarls her leg, she seizes a mic stand and attempts to beat the dog away with it. After accidentally making contact with the stage monitor, loud feedback rings out, and Pat helps her press the mic even closer, which is apparently the dog's least favorite song, and (laughs) sends it running out of the building. He said, fuck this. As I'm watching this, I'm like, I think that it's really unfair that you you guys get dogs. (laughs) Really? That's such an unfair advantage. It is. (laughs) Clark follows after the dog as Pat and Amber catch their breath on the stage. Right in front of the monitor, Pat notices Cowcatcher's set list taped to the floor and he tears it off. Amber grabs her box cutter and the two reconvene with an antique looking Sam in the hall. (laughs) (laughs) she fearfully asks where reese is but upon learning that it's just the three of them left they head back to the green room and barricade the door with the couch pat matches the word written on the napkin to one of the listed words on the set list amber who was absolutely in the room earlier and could have told them this yeah says that fleischwolf is a song it means meat grinder She's like, you guys were being really mean to me earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So I wasn't going to let you in on it. Outside, Clark cages the frazzled dog, which draws the ire of Darcy. He orders him to send in another one. No, send two. (laughs) 
but Clark tells them that they need to kill the feedback first. Plus, he says that if he sends in two fight dogs, <laughs> what does Darcy think they'll do? Yeah. No <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> That's a <hilarious. laughs> Send them all in. It's like, dude, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> think for a second. Daniel steps forward with Jonathan, saying that they'll go in themselves to finish things up. Clark hands Daniel a machete and gives him the rules. Blades only. Sloppy is fine, but try not to hit the bone. Daniel accepts the assignment, taking Jonathan with him at Darcy's request and heading inside. After they're gone, Gabe drags Reese's almost lifeless body over to Darcy, who tells Gabe to just let Reese bleed, since a later time of death will actually help their story. Again, they're so thorough. Yeah. Yeah. It's frightening. But he asks Gabe if he found the keys, but Gabe says that he didn't. But I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance? (laughs) Yes, seriously. (laughs) He's going to come and save everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just a flesh wound. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not like I watched him get repeatedly stabbed or anything. (laughs) I was talking to T this morning. And I won't spoil it. I know that it's it's uh, old news by now, but there's a character on Game of Thrones who was very clearly being murdered. And I was so unwilling to accept that they were being murdered <laughs> that I watched their eyes get gouged out. And I was like, oh, they're just going to be blind for the rest of the, for the, rest well, of the show. It's fine. It's like they wouldn't introduce someone this cool and just kill them off. Definitely yeah. not. What is but this, Game of Thrones? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they definitely yeah. did no they did and, uh, that's how i felt i was like no he's gonna be fine <laughs> i know i watched him get mortally wounded but, but he is gonna come and save the day later he'll <laughs> be all right he's gonna be fine he's gonna put one of those dogs in an arm lock <laughs> and a paw lock and uh, you know we'll all run it'll be fine the ain't rights yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll rise again they'll play another show <laughs> But inside the venue, Daniel and Jonathan skulk through the darkness, walking onto the stage under the low red light of the exit sign, removing the microphone from the stage monitor and killing the feedback. They drag Tiger's body away, leaving a long trail of blood. Amber hears this and alerts Sam and Pat that they're coming. They ready themselves, Sam full of fear and doubt. The door pounds from kicks on the other side, and eventually Daniel bursts through, pushing the door open and getting a face full of white smoke from Sam. Daniel just knocks her down, but asks Amber tearfully where Emily is. Amber motions to Emily's body on the floor as Sam crawls away and drops into the underground lab. <laughs> oh like, yeah, really? <laughs> She's smart. Yeah. She is. <laughs> but I was like, wow, it did dude. Look kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Up and over. <laughs> I was like, wow. We just watched you do yeah. that. <laughs> But Jonathan is confused by Daniel's attitude and behavior, but Daniel just crouches down to his dearly departed and secret girlfriend, asking Amber who killed her. She tells him it was Worm, but he doesn't believe her. Amber asks what they told him, and she's ready to tell the whole story and does so in front of Jonathan. Worm found out that Emily was leaving, but she didn't tell anyone that it was with Daniel. Meat Grinder, the song was their cue to exit. That's why Daniel was waiting in his car. And that's why he was like, don't fucking say anything about my girlfriend or us leaving. Or it's like, oh. A love triangle. Yeah, and um, ex- ex-Nazis, I guess? Yeah. I guess they're quitting. I They're quitting. (laughs) (laughs) They're clocking out. Um, (laughs) 
That's wild. Yeah. I was honestly expecting them to turn and kill the dude that they sent in. Yeah, honestly. Because he's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still standing yeah, there. Yeah, he's, he's still here. Everything. Jonathan stands there confused, and Daniel tells him that he should leave, and he does so immediately. I, c- I couldn't believe it. Only you're going to leave this mortal coil. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I'm not there. Either way, you're not leaving this room. Yeah. Either yes. you're stuck with us, because I know you're going to go right out there and fucking yeah. tell the Darcy. Of course you are. Like, yeah. mm-mm. But outside, with the feedback killed, Clark readies another dog. Darcy remembers what Gabe told him earlier and asks why he didn't want Daniel on door duty. Gabe says that it was nothing concrete, but he and Emily. Darcy looks off in the distance at Daniel's car, illuminated under the light of a street lamp. It looks amazing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he understands. He walks over to Daniel's car and snatches the key from the visor. He then opens up the trunk and finds packed bags. And upon discovering a photo of Daniel and Emily, facetiously calls them little lovebirds. But before he closes the trunk, he reaches deep inside, finding something shrouded in a clear plastic bag. He takes it over to Gabe, asking if he recognizes it, but he doesn't. It's a bloody baseball bat, and Darcy explains that it's from last Easter, and it was supposed to disappear after the boot party. Oh, that's not good. Well, no. 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 I, so, leverage. Yeah. yeah. But Jonathan emerges from the venue, confused that Daniel just started talking with them. <laughs> he tells the group that Amber is alive and that she's saying that Worm committed the murder. You fucking... Yeah, John- you, you knew. Jonathan's like, I know we all love Worm, but... Yeah. Like- <laughs> worm wouldn't what do that? that. But Darcy reaches for Gabe, kissing him on the forehead and telling him that Worm just saved them all. Inside... Pat climbs down into the underground bunker to look for Sam, followed by Amber and Daniel. Pat tells Sam that it's okay. Well, it's not okay, but Daniel is with them now. Yeah. Yeah. He says they got a split. Surveying the drug operation, Amber asks Daniel if he didn't know about this, and he says that he just didn't know where. Pat steps through plastic dividers to find Sam staring up at a duct that she says is wider than the others, but Pat tells her that they still wouldn't be able to fit through. Daniel cautiously sticks his head through the dividers, and Pat tells Sam that he can help them. She asks who he is, and he admits, a traitor. All right. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of all I need to know. Yeah. yeah. I, I would rather you just say that than be like, well, me and Emily fell in love, yeah. and we decided this isn't the life for us. It's like, okay, just, okay. yeah, just <laughs> give it to me straight. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time. Right. It was a courtship of 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Sam sarcastically remarks, oh, a conspiracy. But Daniel downgrades it to what it is, a clusterfuck. That it is. Yeah. Sam takes Pat in with her eyes, traveling from his wounded arm up to his face. Back outside in the parking lot, Darcy hands guns to Jonathan, Kyle, and Alan, telling them that he'd like to keep it to blades and fangs, but they're running low on time. The way that the desperation just keeps ramping up yeah dude the fact that darcy is clearly very confident in his execution of you know tasks yeah and is not expecting those tasks to not just be fulfilled Mm -hmm. yeah it's like i already sent the dogs in there like what what do we do now like that was (laughs) that works so yeah yeah, the fact that we're just passing out guns like yeah it's panic yeah. yeah yes He says that if they shoot, shoot once, 
or keep the grouping tight because they'll be digging out the slugs themselves. Do you still have gunshot wounds? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but okay. That's not a blade or a dog bite. No. <laughs> but he says for Daniel and Amber, and then he stops mid-sentence, asking the bartender what they forgot. Back inside, Daniel leads the group out of the green room, armed with a machete, and Amber with her mic stand. As he cautiously walks them over to the bar, Daniel tells them that there's a river on two sides of the venue and a quarry on the other. He suggests they parallel the main road back and then go for help. Amber asks how they're even supposed to get past the door, and Daniel reaches under the bar, retrieving a few shotgun shells, saying that he knows something that they don't. Sam snags a shot of liquor that the bartender poured earlier for Darcy, asking what Daniel knows. When he reaches his hand back under, he answers her, I know where we keep the... But out of nowhere, a shotgun blast at close range bursts through Daniel's face. His cheek blasted away. He falls to the ground lifeless. Oh my God. It gets to a point where you're like, can you give me a second? (laughs) God. I, I... Here I do, uh, and I know y'all have said that, but this is very more realistic. Yeah. Because I'm not going to wait for you to whatever. I'm just going to shoot you in the face. It's like that. You yeah, know what I mean? it would have. Because I feel like a lot of other movies, it'd be like, really, Daniel? Yeah. You know, no, he's yeah. like, no, I, I got to take yeah. him out. And he was like, it's buried. It's like, no, <laughs> yeah, what is it? What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? <laughs> I, and I, I'm telling you, man, it, it's one of those things that, this is it, it was effective as a shocking moment yeah it was effective as a jump scare yeah all right i i just i didn't expect this especially with the way and they were talking about it on commentary mm. the way daniel's talking down below he's kind of turning into this action hero yeah yeah i'm a, I'm a traitor yeah you're like oh so he's gonna save them all yeah fuck no yeah. He's absolutely not yeah, not. yeah no <laughs> But Sam drops her drink as the bartender pumps the shotgun, telling the now very deceased Daniel that he was too slow. Amber rushes the bartender, knocking his next shot away with the mic stand, and Sam sprays him with the fire extinguisher. This thing is coming in clutch. I'm yeah. so, that is my next note, is who would have known yeah. Yeah. How, how handy this has come. With the bartender engulfed in smoke, Pat grabs Daniel's machete, and with a yell, plants it firmly in the bartender's pale throat. Hey, good job, man. Yeah. 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 He slides to the ground, bleeding out, and Amber steals the shotgun. Pat snags some of the shells, but Clark tries to sneak in to sick the dogs on them again, but he backs out immediately when Amber points the shotgun at him. With the shotgun, the group feels confident to go for it, and the camera follows them across the bar as they head towards the exit, distant neon lights cutting through the darkness of the empty room. Amber takes lead, pushing the door open with the shotgun, but they are met with a hail of gunfire from the red laces, which they somehow dodge except for one that catches Amber in the leg. Darcy orders them to stop shooting, and in the frenzy, Sam takes the shotgun from Amber. Clark immediately releases one of the dogs on her, and Sam catches the dog with one shot of the gun, but not enough to count, and the dog jumps for her, taking her to the ground and chewing through the flesh of her face. No! Yeah. Not maybe. Not no. maybe, and not death by dog. Yeah, yeah. dude. 
fuck? I honestly, and again, this is one of those moments I thought that I thought she was going to clay pigeon that dog. <laughs> yes. I really did. And then I'm like, dude, well, nothing has worked of out course. so far. Of course that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> I was like, when they were at the bar, I was like, oh, hell yeah, you guys did great. Yeah. Um, then they run outside and I was like, no, no. God Never damn it. Mind. We fumbled the ball yeah. <laughs> once again. Pat cries out for Sam as he and Amber retreat inside the venue. They stumble breathlessly back to the green room, their hopes dashed and their spirits low. As Pat tapes up the wound on Amber's leg, she admits that she's lucky. They were only going to shoot her. Back outside, after quick shots of people locking all the exits to the venue, Gabe reluctantly searches Sam's fresh corpse, finding the keys for the van and handing them over to Darcy. I'm just like, damn it. Yeah. yeah. And again, this is what we were talking about, about um, his performance, because he doesn't even look like he wants to do this. Yeah. No. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Darcy says that he's satisfied with three bodies, and he tells his men that the fourth can just disappear. He leans close to Jonathan and Alan, lamenting how long this has taken and ordering them to finish it. Darcy then thanks Clark for a job well done, and Clark tells him to thank the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, dog. (laughs) Darcy admits that they nearly got away from him. Or them, rather. It's like, you are just thinking about yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's fucking telling. Clark should have been like, what did you just say? Yeah, no. (laughs) Well, he looks at him like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. But back in the green room, Pat and Amber sit on the couch that's blocking the door. Pat tells Amber that he can't die here with her, so she tells him not to. Great advice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> she asks him if he'll finish his pep talk from earlier, but he says that it no longer applies. She finally coaxes it out of him with her curiosity, so he picks up where he left off. Paintball. He was cowering. Rick Silva. Pat says that they were getting slaughtered by these legit Iraq vets. Amber says that this totally applies, and so Pat continues. They were in full camo with $1,000 automatic paintball guns. He says they knew real war and they played real war with tactics, hand signals, and flanking, just wiping them all out. I feel like that wouldn't even be fun. No. Unless you're playing against people with the same skill set. Yeah. You're just slaughtering them. Yeah. Like, that's not even fun. Are you Kane Scredeberg? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's <enough>. three. <laughs> three King of the Hills. <laughs> But Rick got fed up with it, and he just foregoes all sense of safety and self-preservation. In the last match, after the whistle blows, he just rushes out there with reckless abandon, in cutoffs and sneakers, and takes out their entire team and doesn't stop until they're all dead. A tear rolls down Pat's cheek as Amber reminds him, pretend dead. They're up against the real thing tonight. Pat agrees, but he says either way, they can't play real war. Amber stands up and finds a marker on the ground, takes off the cap, and suggests that they pretend. I feel like that would have been a good pep talk for the moment. They should have let him finish. Honestly. Oh, earlier? Yeah. Yeah, because right now I'm like, what? What do you want me to (laughs) do with this marker? (laughs) (laughs) Sign up. He writes a sign. We quit. We're sorry. We forfeit. But this is the symmetry I was talking about in Tad's apartment. Yeah. All right. And I did learn on commentary that this actual story happened to a friend of Sonia's. Mm-hmm. He's a filmmaker. His first name is Rick. I'm misplacing his last name, but it really Silva. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but it really did happen. All right. 
But back in the office, Gabe removes the battery from Emily's phone and gives it to Darcy to put into a bag and into a safe. After he does, Darcy hands him a pair of red laces, telling him that he's earned them. Oh, good for him. You must be so proud. Gabe seems reluctant, initially shaking his head, but he takes them. Darcy suggests that they look for a new house band for the venue and try to fall back into their old routines. Gabe asks if he thinks Cowcatcher is going to talk, but Darcy is more worried about their habits. He very cryptically says that he's heard there's a bad batch of dope doing the rounds. He leaves, but the camera presses in on Gabe, who knows exactly what that means. I, I don't. I, I don't even have. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have anything to say to that. He pokes his head back. I killed Captain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, cool, Thank cool. you. <laughs> After Alan moves the Ain't Rights van, and with the cleanup in progress, Clark shoots a syringe into his wounded dog in the bed of the truck, telling Jonathan that it'll give the dog another hour. He pets him and says that he'll consider it a personal favor if the dog dies with meat in his teeth. He hands the chain over to Jonathan, teaching him the bite command, FOSS. I'm surprised the dog didn't just bite Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was like, that was, yeah. I would have laughed. That I don't think. would have been hilarious. <laughs> it made me think, do you remember on Reno 911 when Travis was trying to train that dog oh, in German? Oh, no. man. <laughs> <laughs> But after Clark gets into the truck, Darcy tells Jonathan to disregard everything that Clark just said. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, wow, <laughs> dude. You're a piece of shit, man. He says to just shoot them because forensics don't matter at this point. Darcy gets into the passenger seat of the truck and Kyle asks if they have any 12-gauge ammo. Clark asks how many shots he has left. And when Kyle tells him that they have three, Clark says that's one extra and just drives away. Kyle heads inside with Jonathan, who still has the dog on the leash, while Gabe stands at the entrance watching as they go past the bartender's corpse. The shells missing from behind the bar. They head down the hall, but feedback blasts over the PA, which causes Jonathan to lose control of the dog, who runs for the exit and disappears outside. We watched that dog run away <laughs> yeah. for a long time. It's like, is, is this third act just about the dog now? <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> There's. He turned his life around. He did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I got to get yeah. my shit together. There's a scene that there's a gif of from the Real Housewives of Atlanta mm-hmm. and Nini gets mad she picks up her purse she leaves the room she leaves the building she gets in her car <laughs> she backs out she drives away it's all in the one gif <laughs> it is fucking hilarious and that is very much <laughs> <laughs> what it felt like watching this dog fucking Dude, run, it's... <laughs> run for the hills yeah. I was laughing we followed him for, <laughs> for yeah. so long he exits the hall he goes past the stage he leaves the building he walks through the parking lot he goes he past does. some shrubs yeah. yeah until the camera's like i guess we can't follow him anymore <laughs> he's just gonna do what he's gonna do he starts a family <laughs> he gets a job it's like wow it's an epilogue <laughs> an epidog <laughs> i was like this is hilarious i couldn't believe it But Jonathan yells for Gabe to turn off the speaker, but he reveals that it's not coming from their mixer. He heads back towards the bar, but Kyle and Jonathan continue toward the green room. Kyle raises the shotgun, and they kick the door open to find what appears to be a skinhead raising a machete over his head, 
shouting down to the underground room. Down there, dipshit fashion punk clown motherfucker. He also says Shazbot, yeah. <laughs> which I think is Mork and Mindy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> or what is that? He was doing whatever he could. <laughs> but Jonathan yells for him to turn around, and Kyle asks who it is. In a grand reveal, Pat, with his head shaved and war paint drawn on his face with Sharpie, turns around, answering, Odin himself. He jumps down the hole, landing right on his damaged arm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that clumsy ass fall into the bunker was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but he rises up swiftly and bangs the machete around, screaming and creating a commotion. Jonathan's eyes trace wires to the PA system, and he kills the feedback as Kyle discovers the clippers used to shave Pat's head. Pat crouches behind a barrel in the bunker, still screaming and making noise. Aware that this is absolutely a trap, Jonathan snags the shotgun from Kyle, telling him with three shells left, if he hears two shots, he better follow him down no matter what. I well, I'm I was uh, I was like, all right, at least you guys know it's a trap. Yes. You yeah, you know, and they're not like, let's just go down there <laughs> yeah. and see. And it'd be like, dude, none of that happened this entire time in the movie. You guys have been way too smart for what's going on. Please don't let them be dumb when it comes yeah. to this. He's like, was that guy one of ours? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember an Odin. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Must be new. But Jonathan jumps down, cautiously stepping forward and asking Kyle to watch his back. But behind Kyle. Amber climbs out from inside the couch, box cutter in hand. Not Amber being Frank Reynolds <laughs> yeah. into the couch. <laughs> like someone call Amber an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but Jonathan gets cold feet down below and backs up, asking Kyle to get Gabe so that there's two people down here searching instead of one. The camera finds Kyle through the hole in the ceiling, but Amber swoops on him cutting his throat and using him as a shield so Jonathan doesn't shoot. She calls out to Pat that Jonathan only has three shots left, so Pat makes his way through the dividers. She fires blindly at Jonathan, which causes him to waste a shell of return fire. He calls out to Gabe, but the camera pulls back from Gabe, hard at work upstairs with a power washer, unable to hear him. He's not hearing them. No. <laughs> no, but the audacity... That he's like, no, they got it covered. I'm going to start cleaning up. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Wow. Like, I was told to clean. Yeah. <laughs> Pat shouts, and I think I read that Gabe is the manager of the venue, and so he's like, I need to clean. Yeah. He's They're like, going to he... be back on Sunday. I was going to yeah. say, he promised them free drinks. <laughs> We're going to have a packed house. But Pat shouts out to Amber, which distracts Jonathan, and then Amber distracts Jonathan with Sam's trusty fire extinguisher, filling the room with a white cloud as she yells out to Pat, two shots left. Amber somehow holds Kyle's body over the hole (laughs) (laughs) so that his legs are seen sticking out through the smoke, but Jonathan recognizes the boots and he doesn't shoot. Unable to hold him any longer, Amber just drops him down, telling Jonathan to go fuck himself. That looked funny. It did. did. (laughs) He's a marionette. (laughs) (laughs) But Pat rises to his feet with the machete in hand as Jonathan cautiously steps toward him. As he makes it to the plastic dividers, Pat rushes him, knocking him down, but quickly ducking out of the way when Jonathan raises the shotgun and fires at him. A pair of legs dangle from the hole in the ceiling as Amber calls out, One shot left! Jonathan pumps the shotgun and fires, catching the kneecap of the leg and exploding it. A body drops to the floor, and so does a gun. Jonathan scrambles for it, but he finds that it's empty. He looks up, 
to find Amber brandishing the magazine, telling him, Zero. He looks over on the floor and realizes that the person he shot in the knee was Emily. That was pretty clever. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I, I just thought it was a little funny that he didn't even let him get all the way through the plastic divider. <laughs> no. He hit him while the plastic was covering him. Yeah. You could have caught him in the face. He could have. Yeah. It was yeah. a buffer. Yeah. <laughs> He's fine. Yeah, that helped him. <laughs> Ridiculous. I was like, damn, dude, they made a fool out of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> over and over. Yeah. <laughs> but with his one functioning arm, Pat rushes for the shotgun to try to load it, but it's too slow. Jonathan tosses the empty gun at Pat and then wrestles him to the ground. As this continues, Amber takes her sweet time picking up the pistol and loading it. I'm like, Amber, can you come take care of this, please? (laughs) (laughs) She saunters over to the two men, shooting Jonathan twice, once in the neck and then the head. Blood spurts from his wounds and Amber offers a weekly triumphant. Got him. Very nice. But that was so frustrating. I'm like, dude, why are you trying to load the shotgun like that right now? <laughs> like, th- just, I guess, fight him or hold him until she comes down. Something. You could beat him with it. Yeah. So- anything. He was like, just jab him. <laughs> something. You've got one arm, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Amber tosses the shotgun up into the green room, climbing up herself just as Gabe walks in with the cleaning supplies. Amber helps Pat up as well, grabbing the shotgun. Defeated. Gabe is apologetic. Fancy meeting you here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Amber just asks if there are any more dogs. Gabe tells her that there aren't. Pat asks if there are any more people. And Gabe confesses, not here, but up the road. Gabe takes off his cleaning gloves and spits on the floor, telling them honestly, I want to go to jail. The camera moves through the venue as atmospheric music plays. We see the bar, the stage, the kitchen. And then we see Amber leading Gabe outside with the shotgun to confirm that they really are alone here. Noticing Daniel's abandoned car, Pat asks if anyone knows how to hotwire it, but nobody does. Gabe says it would be best to stay off the road anyway. And we cut to a shot of the road. Clark's injured dog still roaming free. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is he just walking the earth like Jules from Pulp Fiction? <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. But Amber and Pat lead Gabe through the woods and he asks if they're going to shoot him. Amber just asks where Worm is, but Gabe says that they sent him home, but he doesn't think. Pat just tells them to be quiet until they're out. But the silence is broken as the sound of a gunshot echoes through the trees. Pat asks what they're doing, and Gabe says that it's something that he doesn't want to see. Pat then lowers his head, and Amber suggests that they just call the cops once they make it to the orchard. But Pat is still focused, asking Gabe if he saw his bandmates die. Gabe says that he saw two of them die, but admits that he didn't see the third. And again, I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting. But after taking a moment of contemplation, Pat says that he's going to keep going. Amber tells Gabe to call the cops when he gets to the orchard, but assures him that if he tries to disappear, she'll find him. Gabe says that he will, and when Pat draws his pistol, Gabe promises that he will. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Pat tells Amber that she should go too, but Amber levels with him. He's got three rounds, and she's seen him pump a shotgun. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I doubted you, Amber. I know. Gabe turns to walk away, but Pat and Amber head toward the sound of gunfire with their weapons drawn. Cautiously inching their way through the greenery, Pat sees the back of their van, 
and he hears Clark ordering a dog around in German, watching through the shrubs as it drags a body around with its teeth. Disgusted, Alan's voice tells Clark that that has to be enough. The camera finds Tad's poster on the ground underneath the van, and Pat takes cover, drawing on Alan through the driver's side window and forcing him to toss his gun. Amber aims the shotgun at Clark, ordering him to tie up the dog. She then unlocks the gate, and she and Pat lead Clark, the dog, and Alan into the residence, lingering for a moment on the Beware of Dog sign. So that's the fence from earlier. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. And when he was like, do you have a no trespassing sign? Yeah, and yeah. he's like, no, beware of dog. Even better. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They walk past the staged bodies of Reese, Tiger, and Sam, Pat realizing that they're being framed. Amber puts it simply after she sees the siphoning kit stuck into the gas tank of Clark's truck. You were trespassing. Man, he came up with that so fast. Yeah. It's wild. Darcy steps out from behind the truck, surprised to see them here. Pat mocks his shoddy frame job, saying that he wouldn't do it that way. And Alan tells Darcy that they have his gun. I was like, tattletale. (laughs) 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 Clark turns around to reason with them, but Amber blows him away with one shot. Gabe hears this shot, but continues onward through the trees. Clark's wounded dog also continues onward. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Pat asks if they're really doing this, and Amber wonders why else they would come up here. Pat says that he was going to ruin their crime scene, but Amber, with her shotgun on Darcy and Alan, replies that she'd thought that they'd leave a new one. Pat looks around, overcome with emotion, telling Darcy that this is a nightmare. Darcy agrees and says, for us all. Yeah. Bitch, if you. (laughs) You're done. You're done. Amber begs that those words will be Darcy's last. Mm -hmm. Pat steps forward, cocking his gun. He asks if Darcy has a phone, but after looking Darcy over, he admits it's funny. Darcy was so scary at night. Chef's kiss. Yeah. That is such a fucking great line. Mm -hmm. Darcy. Darcy just turns tail and walks away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Alan tries to advance on them, but Amber blasts right through him. With his back to them, Amber and Pat fire at Darcy, who draws his gun. When he's hit in the back and his leg, he drops to his knees. He turns to aim at them, but Pat catches him on the side of the head, blood spurting from him as he lets off one shot right into Clark's truck. As he lies dead in front of the residence, atmospheric music rises, and Amber and Pat look him over as the morning sun grows brighter. They should take their scalps to Lieutenant Aldo Ray. Because <laughs> <laughs> he wants them. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he wants them. He was very clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was crazy, though, man. Yeah. Like, it, I did enjoy that, and and them... Like him, him telling him that about being scary and him just being like, never mind. Yeah. yeah. Trying to leave. Good day, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, you're scary in the daylight. Yeah. <laughs> and then just ran his ass away. Bye. And I believe I have made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bid you adieu. <laughs> and one thing I did really appreciate as far as like, because it's, you know, in most movies, he would have hit him right dead center in the head. Yeah. yeah. It was so off. It was just, it's so real. Yeah. They had said that the first thing that they filmed with Patrick Stewart was this scene. Oh, oh, wow. Really? And then they went backwards. All right. Because this is an exterior shot, which they had to film first. Oh, that's right. That's wild. But we see Gabe make it to the orchard through the trees, calling out to uncredited workers that he needs the police. 
I was surprised he literally did as he promised. Yeah. yeah. I was like, when they were in the clearing, I was like, why are they fucking trusting him? Yeah. And then when he heard the gunshots and kept going, I was like, no, I think he for real is like, I fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, oh, it's because he's played by Macon Blair. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> but in a hotel room somewhere, the camera glides down the arm of guitarist, a needle stuck in his vein, dead from Darcy's laced dope. Worm sits rocking, though, alive, but covered in sweat, a bite of cereal frozen in his hovering spoon. So he's still there. Yeah. Sitting next to his dead friends. Maybe he's dying. Maybe Maybe he's turning into a monster. (laughs) (laughs) We also see Tad vacuuming his apartment, preparing for the arrival of Daniel and Emily, and listening to his interview with the Ain't Rights on the radio. This was weirdly very sad yeah Yeah. and something that happens in a second i was like why am i feeling i i think it was because i was so stressed out and tense for so much of this Mm -hmm. the fact that like the threat is gone and it's like oh this dude still thinks his cousin is coming Yeah. yeah like that is so sad and this this was the shot for me that absolved tad of knowing yeah. anything at all well because he he was telling the truth yeah yeah because before i was like did yeah. you send them? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know, but now we know. Yeah, but he told them my cousin and his girl are going to come yeah. back and yeah. he's getting everything ready for him. <sighs> but back at the residence, Pat sits with Amber, listening to the broadcast from the open door of the van. After everything that we've been through since we did that interview yesterday. Yesterday. Everything I've been through because I'm the only one left. Oh, Yeah. I it would feel like a sick joke. I think that that I I think whatever I was holding on to sanity wise, I think oh it's gone. Hearing yeah. that interview would break me. Yeah. I think I think I would be gone. But the wounded dog makes his way past them, <laughs> <laughs> and they weakly draw their guns on him. But he just continues onward, finding Clark and resting his head on the arm of his dead owner. This is when I'm like, I, I can't take, I can't take any more of this. <laughs> this was so sad. Yeah. The dog doesn't know any fucking better. No, but he even said earlier the dog's got about an hour to live. Yeah, yeah. the dog is a Nazi though. Yeah, <laughs> don't be too sad. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't choose to be a Nazi, he, but he, he is it one. <laughs> His toenails are painted red. No, like, fuck, no, fuck that dog. Yeah, fuck that dog. <laughs> no it's sad (laughs) (laughs) but pat and amber sit in the stillness of the morning and something hits pat he knows what it is his desert island band amber tells him to tell somebody who gives a shit and the credits roll (laughs) (laughs) while credence plays see so i i on commentary, Sonia said that there are two correct answers to Pat's Desert Island Band, mm. but he will not tell anyone what they are. I I had a theory, and then I was like, well, is it CCR? <laughs> but, I, that's what I thought. But I think that, and it's very sad, I think his answer is the ain't rights. Don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I'm about to cry. <laughs> It's CCR. <laughs> but uh, what did you guys think of Green Room? 
I did enjoy this movie. It's not something that I uh, would probably watch, you know what I mean, often. But I do. I did enjoy it. And even the second time watching it, and I know I said earlier, I would even say watch it a couple of times to, to pay attention to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it is a really good movie, and it's well done. It isn't anything that... I think you're right, T, that we've seen, not that it's not been done before or thought about, but it's done in such a way that it is entertaining and we are stuck in one location, I mean, the whole time Mm -hmm. until the end and then like at the beginning and that was it. And it doesn't ever take away from the charm of the movie or the dread or the feeling of frustration or uh, the intensity of what's going on at certain times. Um, I, I, I would recommend this movie two people to watch Mm -hmm. i like i said it's not uh a favorite of mine but i did enjoy this and i probably i wouldn't be mad if somebody put it on or suggested it i'd be like yeah throw it on you know what i mean um i'd even say that i'd probably watch it sometime down the line after some time had passed you know what i mean like you know we haven't watched a long time and we'll watch green room or whatever or oh that's fine or um it, it is it is a good movie yeah yeah, I agree. Um, I think that it is kind of, I don't want to say rare. I'll say it's special when mm-hmm. a movie can make me as invested as I was watching this. And that feeling of like, and I've talked about it before, how priceless that feeling of I literally do not know what is going to happen next yeah. is. And consuming as much you know movies and tv you kind of already have this oh well this is gonna happen oh well they're gonna get attacked for singing that song oh well um reese is gonna come out of nowhere and be like it's been revoked (laughs) you know what i mean like we i i know what's gonna happen but it's gonna be cool it's like no anything that i thought was gonna happen next did not fucking happen yeah uh it is so like you said so full of dread and tension the suspense is fantastic. I was for like you said, the amount of time that we get to spend with these people before everything pops off rooting for them so strongly. And I feel like it's, it's, it makes it a lot easier for your protagonist to be rooted for and likable when you're pinning them against Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care if you're a piece of shit. You got to beat these guys. Like these guys can't win, you know? So I mean, Patrick, Stewart is horrific and haunting his uh Gabe yeah his little I don't know lap dog or whatever gave such an interesting performance that momentarily you are like are you okay like yeah what's what is going on like there's something more you don't really want to be doing this that's what it feels (laughs) like because everybody else is just like you got it boss yeah (laughs) like whatever he says they're doing this guy lost dogs over this or a dog at least whatever um just blindly following there's there's this weird hesitation with gabe um it's just uh it's enthralling i think the only downside to it and i again i understand that we put a focus on the ineptitude of this band and the realism of that which i do appreciate but there are a couple things that it's like, look, no matter how out of my mind scared I would be, I would not open that fucking door. No. I would not 
stick oh oh it's it was a gift let me place it gingerly like <laughs> i would not not that would never fucking that would never happen do you have a satin pillow that yeah. I can- <laughs> <laughs> you want me put it in a box or something <laughs> like you want me to clean it before i give it to you yeah. it's just uh there are a couple things that in that regard are kind of unforgivable even knowing that that's kind of the point yeah a couple things do take it a step too far but I mean, the fact that you said that that was his favorite band and my eyes immediately filled with tears. <laughs> I'm invested. I care. And it was, uh, oh, and the fucking practical effects. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, I, I feel like this movie is fucking great. It's really, really brilliant. I agree with both of you completely. I feel like it's exactly like you said. There is something very special about this film. Mm-hmm. It's not very long. We don't spend a lot of time on character development. Yeah. And yet we're very attached to these people. Yeah. yeah. We want to see them succeed. It hurts when they die. Yeah. And in a lot of horror films, when you don't spend a lot of time with the characters, that's one of the major critiques. Yeah. yeah. I don't give a shit. It's like a body count. Yeah. 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 But here it's like, man, we spent time with Tiger, Reese, and Sam. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't know Emily, but I'm sad about her too, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, cause, cause of the subplot. We yeah. know, yeah. you know, that's sad. That's really sad. And I mean, small moments, Tad vacuuming. Yeah. It's emotionally effective. This film is emotionally effective. It yeah. is. And it is very gruesome and it is very violent, mm-hmm. but it's in a way that's not gratuitous. It kind of, it's earned. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, but I, I've I've always liked this film a lot and getting to cover it for the show, it was really interesting to delve into it and see things that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. And realize some plot points and different aspects of it. I, I really appreciated it. I will agree with both of you. I don't think I can say that it's a perfect film because even if the point is to be frustrating with some decisions, yeah. God damn it were some of these decisions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> frustrating. Like too frustrating. Yeah. There's a line of frustration that just I can't yeah. <laughs> I can't, can't abide. abide. <laughs> but uh, I guess that can lead us into ratings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so much about this film is so amazing. The cinematography. Yeah. The music. The vibe of this nostalgia during the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. kind of relating to these, you know, what is the phrase? Rough and tumble? Yeah. Ragtag group of whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I get that and I feel that. Yeah. Um, There's just so much to love about it. And I think that a film that is this fast paced mm-hmm. has so much stuff happening as it does. You get exhausted in a way that you're enthralled and intrigued yeah you're not exhausted you're like you know in a way that you're like oh great now you know i see this dude's belly inside or whatever yeah. <laughs> like, I, i'm tired i'm yeah. tired of this shit. <laughs> belly inside? is that a medical term yes <laughs> i i took a and p and but um <laughs> i you know i was a journalism major i wasn't, a, <laughs> I wasn't i'm a not medicine. a doctor yeah um, <laughs> but I just I feel like it is exactly as you said it's very special in that way that it it is its entirely own vibe yeah mm-hmm. and it's like I don't see films like Green Room often no I don't know films like this that I could say oh that reminds me of Green Room not really mm. yeah so I mean it's it's very unique and very special gotta give special points for this close confined set yeah 
any film that takes a very small place and mm-hmm. does something this creative with it, that's fantastic. Oh yeah. Um, of course, performances: Patrick Stewart, uh, Alia Shawkat, Anton Yelchin, Imogen Poots. Like it's a fucking fantastic cast. Yeah, and yeah. They all do great, great work. Uh, the practical effects, as we said, that dude getting his belly opened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> poor Pat's arm. Yeah, man. <sighs> I have never seen anything like that in my life. No, that was horrific. Yeah. Um, but I, I gotta repeat the only negative i can really think of is some of these choices (laughs) yeah (laughs) not what i would call wise yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um for me out of 10 problematic punk shows i am gonna give green room nine problematic punk shows out of 10 i really do love this movie and i will watch it uh many more times (laughs) 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 but uh yeah, I'm going to open the floor to you now. <laughs> Thanks, <Dan>. All right. <laughs> no, yeah, I th- I really did enjoy this movie, too. Uh, talking about it, I will be honest, I enjoyed it a little more talking about it, um, kind of dissecting it. Um, I, I Like I said, I, I'll, I'll stand by what I said. If some time passes, be like, you know, I haven't watched Green Room in a long time. Well, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is a good movie, and it does it does make you feel... Uh, for what's going on in the movie constantly, whether it is frustration or sadness or like, oh shit, what the fuck's going on or confusion or just an awe at like, God damn, what happened? Um, you The movie is good in coming through with that mm-hmm. and making you feel those things. Um, for me, the, the choice frustration was real. <laughs> Like I could, I could hear my or catch myself yelling at the TV. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Um, but again, if they didn't make certain choices, the movie would be a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. True. So it's like, all right, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. The movie is really good. I, I did enjoy it. It's a little uh, out of what I'm used to. You know what I mean? So it's not really. Uh, something that I'm used to watching all the time or familiar with. Like you said, it's not like. Uh, any other movie you know what i mean yeah um but uh i i i will definitely watch this again in some time you know what i mean sometimes past it's like you know hey you want to watch green room or throw or, or oh you want to uh put it on or it's showing whatever let's let's that's fine you know what i mean cool yeah or oh i want to show uh one of your sister's green room or i want okay cool let's watch it i'm totally down you know what I mean? And uh, instead of it being because if it wasn't, if it doesn't stand up to it, you're going to be like, eh, well, what about this? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Even if you're nice, being nice, but it's like, oh, but you know what really movie I think they'll like? It's like, oh, so I'm deflecting. Let's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. But not this, greener. Yeah, but I feel like this movie does have what it takes to be able to stand on that. No, I, yeah, I agree with that. Let's watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so for me, on a scale of one to ten problematic punk shows, I'm gonna give Green Room a seven point five. I did enjoy the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm sure with some more watches and whatever, you know, I'm sure I'll I'll like it a little more. But it is good and watching it again and seeing that and catching stuff that I didn't even notice before because of how everything's happening. Yes. It does it does deserve the praise for that. Cause it is good and watching it and I'll say it again, fuck Nazis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck but, Nazis. Fuck Nazis. But damn 
the movie is frustrating it. Are <laughs> their choices yeah, are yeah. frustrating. Yes. Um I completely agree and I think the ability to kind of give you more and t- like give you all the information mm-hmm. and you don't even realize it and then you go back and you're like, "Oh shit. That literally happened." with us talking about it today yeah where i was like oh my god i didn't even put that together that was confusing but it's not it makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. yeah um that is amazing i love that i love movies that reward you for paying attention and reward you for repeat viewings i think you guys already kind of covered it i just again the performances are so incredible and the way that I feel like as gruesome as some of the effects work is in the moments when people actually die, it is just so quick and final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like some extended mortal combat, you know, death. <laughs> scene. It's just, Oh my God, Sam's gone. Yeah. Like, and I feel to me it, it's, it's, um, makes it so much more realistic and it hits you so much harder mm-hmm. because you're not like, Oh wow, that wound looks really amazing. You're just stuck with, she's fucking dead. Yeah. yeah. Reese died. <laughs> he yeah. was supposed to save all of us. Tiger got eaten by a fucking dog. <laughs> yeah. You're just stuck in, in the horror in the finality of these people are just gone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we have to find a way to keep going. It's, intense yeah and the fact that we're not fighting the boogeyman like there are really people like this yeah everywhere that would do this to you without a fucking second thought it is terrifying to me um but on a scale from one to ten problematic punk shows Mm -hmm. and this was a fucking (laughs) (laughs) problematic punk show (laughs) i am also gonna give green room a nine it is incredible this film to me is brilliant and i've appreciated it more every time that i've watched it i just again i can't i can't go to 10 i can't even go to 9.5 <laughs> because <laughs> i mean let go of the gun yeah. let go <laughs> don't open the door in the first place <laughs> well that's all from us at pod mortem what would you rate green room and what should we watch next let us know on twitter at the pod mortem don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Sterehold Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Be sure to follow each of us on Instagram at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at JuggaloDaddy84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Gitter patrons. And remember... Small actions can have massive consequences. All it takes is one wrong note to spoil the harmony. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, very good. Hear the harmony? That was the harmony. (laughs) (laughs) A special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers, ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, 
PJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, JD Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newting, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rutter, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hagetta, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McConaughey, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, J Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie Kay, Kim Sterling, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L, Eats L, Heather Santiano, Abby Kopp, Crystal 831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S, Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T, Kim H, Dana Cook, August, Vengeful Spirit, Ernest Acquisitions, and Sam J. Green. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love you all so much, and we hope you know that we would pick you as our desert island friends. Hey. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, fuck Nazis. Nazis. Yeah, fuck Nazis, <laughs> <though>. <laughs> but seriously. <laughs> Until next time.